Podcast. I'm your host, Alexio Card, joined by my co-host, Yin Tan. Howdy, howdy. Who is sounding a little bit different due to the unfortunate death of his computer, and Artemis Alvosa. All good things must come to an end, I suppose. Even bad things. Our special guest this evening is a writer for Crossing Zebras, the author of the fabulous What You Missed This Week series, Cosmo. Evening, folks. And Cosmo is running on about four hours sleep. Very much appreciate him coming onto the show on short notice at that. So thank you very much. You're welcome. He's also the guy who has to deal with my rant, who edits like my articles when I feel like putting uh, digital ink to paper. So commiserate him on that experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First off, some uh, shout outs. I want to give a shout out to Dardius Cross. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that name right. He made this absolutely fabulous e video, The Fall of J two three three two five five. It's incredible it's probably the best put together e-video since the old rooks and kings videos back in the day it's it's got narration excellent effects great footage a narrative and it's like 50 minutes long i was captivated through the entire thing beautiful i would absolutely show that to anyone whether they play eve or not go check it out i'll link it for you in the show notes here uh and i also would give a shout out to hoots from cap stable um, I found out that he had gone on hiatus just prior to us doing the CSM, um, the CSM episodes, and I just want to give a shout out to him and the Capstable team. They've done tremendous work over the years, especially their great CSM work in past election seasons. And I'm uh, gonna miss them from the podcast scene, but you know this that sort of thing happens, and I totally understand it. And you know, just best of luck to those guys and whatever they're up to right now. And, uh, yeah, just uh, thanks for everything they've done. Yen? Yeah, I'd like to give an anti-shout-out to uh, MSI for giving me an uh, RMA MOBO that's just fucked straight out of the box. You know, really sounds after I've waited fucking three weeks for it. Really appreciate it. Art. Harsh. I'm going to give a shout out to the Eventy production crew. Uh, they did a fantastic job with the Eventy Championship, the Eventy Cup prior to it, and pretty much everything they touch is phenomenal. The production quality, the amount of effort and thought that goes into it is amazing. Huge shout out to those guys, everything they do, and we'll be talking about the Eventy Cup a little bit further on in the show. Cosmo, you got a shout out? Uh, yeah, firstly, I want to actually add on to the event shoutout because I work in a media uh, kind of job and I know exactly what goes on behind that to get that kind of quality. Uh, separate from this, I also like to give a shoutout to my blokes in, ma- in uh, Mass Collapse just because they're dealing with my AFK winning at Eve ass right now. <laughs> the only way to win is not to play. So we've all been losing at the game for years. <laughs> yeah. And finally, a big thank out to our sponsor, Toxic Yakin's HiSec War Deck Project. Have you had any experiences with HiSec Wars? Do you think there needs to be changes with the War Deck system? CSM candidate Toxic Yakin is currently looking for players to join the War Deck Project, an open Discord for the community to discuss ways to improve the current War Deck mechanics and gameplay. This is not a thing for experts, so you don't need to be a master of the subject matter. Just have some experience and a willingness to join in the discussions, make suggestions, and help the community design a better system for wars. 
The link to the Word Deck Project Discord is going to be in the show notes. So hop in and join the discussion today and vote Toxic Yakin, who is on the official Declarations of War ballot. Uh, he he was our sponsor prior, but uh, I really feel like he earned, not purchased, his spot there. A, because he didn't give us nearly enough money to bribe us, and B, because I, I think he'd actually do a pretty decent job. Mm-hmm. I'd second that. If he would like to provide more money to bribe us, we could maybe move him up a couple slots. You know, I'm open to that, is what I'm saying. Some recent polls. Yeah, mercenary in your political at- attitudes as well as your uh, <laughs> sword attitudes, I suppose. I'm just, you know, I'm flexible. I'm flexible. I can, I'll work with you. That's all I'm saying. I'm a reasonable man. <laughs> I just want to know how much it's going to cost to tip Jintan off the top spot. And if that price point is within his range, how much Jintan will pay to swap it back? Oh, now we're getting into some good stuff. I'm very poor, so that's not happening. You can take it, mate. Well, you got a lot of Providence systems. You know, maybe you could arrange a little, you know. Maybe drop a 9UI my way and I'll make a little edit here, you know what I mean? A little, <laughs> little tweet there. Jesus. Just let a certain <laughs> trade for Dizar go up in a certain system and, you know. Just, um, I'm not saying you have to even do anything. Just look the other way, you know? It'll be real easy. This is how politics actually work. <laughs> Probably. Except we're all getting blown by hookers and smoking cigars as this conversation goes on. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So how's that Plex Insider trading go? <laughs> kidding, kidding. We'll talk about that. You know, I've made no money. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we established that. So we've established he doesn't even have enough money to bribe us. He is just bad at politics. I am. I'm terrible at politics. Speaking of being, speaking of being bad, the smug cripple war of 2017, Battle of the Bads, uh, we had a poll vote to the community of the Declarations of War podcast. Who would win in this epic conflict? Mercenary Coalition or Pravi Block? The overwhelming majority, 78%, put their money, figuratively speaking, on MC. And that's a good thing it was figuratively, because goddamn, did you guys squeak by. To be fair... Um, I misinterpreted this poll. I thought it was the smug war separate from the actual EVE Online war, so I voted for Pravi, because Jin Tan has got all the smug this podcast can handle. Oh, it during the pre-show was blowing my mic out. It was great. So we had MC versus Pravi block. We have FCs from both sides of the conflict. My favorite setup for a podcast. Well, one FC and one AFK. One guy who couldn't literally log in for most of the war, yeah. I was FCing from the sidelines. Poor Yin. Weren't you FCing from a Twitch stream like a pro? I wasn't, I wasn't FCing. I was, I was giving helpful guidance. <laughs> well, first of all, let's run down the numbers. Uh, Artemis, take us through how long the conflict was, total number of kills, uh, a number of is killed and the efficiency for MC. Absolutely. So, for anybody who's confused, yes, the Providence deployment by Mercenary Coalition has ended. We started moving away today. We're going back home, and then we have another contract lined up we're going to be taking care of. 
Let's talk a little bit about the purpose of the contract before we get into the numbers. Pardon me, not even the contract, the deployment. And yes, a clarification from earlier, important. not a contract. Yep, we uh, we poked, we poked uh, Alec after he made that slip of the lip in the recent podcast in the show notes. It was not a contract whatsoever. The <laughs> the speculation was glorious on Reddit, on the r slash eve subreddit. We heard that we were hired by Spectrefleet to take over KVP or to kill probably supers that kept ruining their fun gate camps. We heard we were hired by Test Alliance to keep Probably Block busy while they took over the rest of Catch and secured their uh, fortress in the south. We heard many, many a tinfoil hat, but none of them were correct. We were down there. We had contracts, an ongoing contract nearby, uh, but it left us with a lot of free time to do other things. And we thought, well, you know, Probably's fun. Let's go shoot at them. So we did. Uh, we deployed down on February 10th, 2017. The contract officially ended on March 18th, so a little over two months. Closer to exactly two months if you include the fact that February is a bit shorter than most months, but hey, who's... we're mincing at words here. Uh, as far as efficiency is concerned, we have 56.86% efficiency for Providence. Very, very close. It was an interesting few months to be sure. Uh, we did a total of 279.81 billion ISKIN damage to the wealth of Providence members, and we took 221.06 billion ISKIN damage to ourselves. Really interesting. Uh, really telling is when you dig into these statistics. In particular, we can see that our largest losses happened with Force Auxiliaries. We lost, let me find it, 37 billion of Force Auxiliaries. And our greatest kill in individual sort of ship type was battleships. We killed 68.5 billion in battleships. Followed up second place was carriers. We killed 46 billion isk. Nope, nope, that's dreadnoughts. 41 billion isk in carriers, 46 billion isk in dreadnoughts. So really interesting breakdown. Um, it was very close. At early on stages, we were actually losing in efficiency. We pulled it back at the end, though. Jintan is not happy about this. To all your ratters out there, Jintan blames you for the loss of this war. He says that you are worthless to Providence, and um, he doesn't care at all. But MC yeah. cares. We love you. Like stealing their loot, yeah, because they're bad. They get caught. Well, uh, they might be bad, but they are citizens of Providence, members of your alliances, representatives of your alliances, and they're absolutely valid targets for a mercenary alliance. In fact... They're the primary target in a lot of ways, you know, taking away the ISK generation, taking away the morale, racking up kills, uh, wow. getting the dank loots. The fleet fights are just, you know, they're the cream on top of everything, in my view. If you're going to take it to the realm of morale, I think Providence has certainly got that one underway. I well, mean, if you want to measure to... the level of smug, then sure, probably is high. But with smug, certainly comes salt. And I must say, the the MC Salt Mining and Providence Forum thread has been beautiful. Just amazing, the salt that you can milk out of Providence, even if you're whelping flights and EUTZ to them. Like, it's amazing. They will go time and time again railing at you that they won 2v1 or 3v1, that they effectively blobbed you out in a time zone in the meantime, losing every single other fight in other time zones. They can't keep their assets from getting reinforced. Ratters are dying left and right. And you get smug and salt, and they're perfect for each other. Oh, what's that about? Oh, 
I, I sort of remember. What's that about? Well, I seem to remember that the uh, 70 ball kills that took you over the top of that involved exactly. Oh, what was it? Oh, yeah, five MC members compared to 200 MCPS. Five MC members? Excuse yeah, there me? Were five, there were five individual MC members in that last fight. So I will I'll try and pull up, uh, if I have time during this episode, that exact fight and tell you how much ISK MC got on in that fight. It was certainly not the most recent fight, which Jin is referring to, NCPL. They came in, probably decided, hey, you know, it's great to fight NCPL. You drop caps on them. Interesting choice there, bud. But they did it anyway, and they were punished very hard for it. This is, of course, after the changes to the fighter signature radius, so the T3s which NCPL were in very easily defanged and just straight up killed the carriers that probably dropped on an Asbel, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. So I'll try and look it up and get exactly how much ISK was lost, or how much ISK we counted for. But the numbers that I'm given is giving is not total ISK done to Pravi while we were there. It is total ISK destroyed at the hands of Mercenary Coalition. So it is not just other people were off doing their own thing, and so we counted anyway because Pravi took damage. However, this is all the stat for how much damage MC has taken is not just at the hands of Pravi. It's anybody else who killed one of our ships within the region of Providence and within our staging systems that is included as well. So well, any of the well, let's gangs, let's put a little let's let's put a little thing on it. Don't be too proud of yourself. That's how you're supposed to track it. It's not like you're doing something I'm special just, there. I'm putting that out there so that everybody's familiar. This is how things are done. But All I'll right. try and look it up and get the exact statistics for you. So uh, this was a big contention point of Yin's in the previous show that despite MC reinforcing a lot of stuff, they weren't actually able to kill any significant structures or take any strategic Systems. objectives in Providence. Is that still the case at the end of the campaign, or did they come around and actually be able to follow through on those reinforcements? I believe, kill... and I will, they, they did kill a, was it like one thing in the fucking 2D pocket? Oh, op success. We killed, at the very least, we killed a number of pauses, pause mods, pardon me. Probably is not very good at fueling their towers. We also killed the 9TAC FTCU pause, which I'll talk about a bit more in my host highlight for the show. We also killed two Asbels, and the third one that was reinforced spawned the fight in which Pravi whelped their capital fleet. Oh man, you mean you, 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 you specifically, and not the 200 MC you brought? Sure, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Stop fucking bragging about things so, you can't do yourself, you fucking cucks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cuck lives matter, Ian. <laughs> oh no, apparently they don't. Not if you have ever shot a red cross in your life. You do not matter whatsoever. The words of Yintan, no, ladies and gentlemen. That, that Alright, so, so on the hot drop, or the, not hot drop, but on the bat phone issue, um, I can see Yin's frustration. However, it is totally viable, and Noir has done it many, 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 many times. If you run up against the problem, you can't move on your own. It is, you know, if this were a real contract, which it wasn't, but if it were, you know, it's sort of on you to do whatever it takes to get the job done. You need to reach out to whatever allies, build whatever bridges you can to get yourself over the line and get that contract back into a win. So I think it's totally legitimate they did that. However, 
No, no, I agree. It's totally legit to bring friends. Like, I mean, you're fighting a coalition. That yeah, makes exactly. Sense. Bring allies. The problem I have is that Atlas is sitting here pretending it's all MC, and it's not. You're Did I ever watch it? It was all MC. Yes, thing? you said we. You fucking we, we. That seems Must like not just... saying just MC. That's it's the royal we. Can you clarify then? Every time you say we, can you say MC okay. and okay. MC Let's and PL so we can be perfectly accurate? Let's be specific here. So, MC alone, just MC, killed the 9TAC-F TCU tower while Pravi was contesting it, outnumbering us 2-3-1. to three to one. Straight up, no confessions, no concessions, that's what happened. We dunked you. Okay, that's there. Apart from that, the fights with NC on the two Asbels. NC made the majority of the combined fleet numbers. We were working together, but not in the same fleet. And together, MC and NC killed two Asbels and a Nightmare Fleet. The day after, NC and PL, not MC, killed the Block Capital Fleet. Clear? Yeah, okay. I'll take that. At the end of the day, you did, you did lick us good in some of these fights, especially later on. It was very interesting. I loved what happened, because MC, roughly 70% of our numbers is in EUTZ, but we do have very strong contingents within AU and US. And what we ran into was an EUTZ, despite the fact that we have strong numbers, we were vastly outnumbered. And Pravi took advantage of that, and we whelped a couple fleets to it, trying out different things, seeing what we could do to even the scales, despite the fact that we just could not get enough people into fleets. However, that was not the case in US and AUTZ. In AUTZ, we outnumbered Providence fairly consistently. USTZ, Providence outnumbered us, but we had, uh, we were willing to commit more to the field as far as ISK is concerned in order to tip the scales in our favor. So it was a very interesting dynamic that played out, and it led to a lot of reinforcement being done in other time zones, but Providence timing them with strong timers and with vulnerability times, time zone tanking effectively to the EUTZ, where they had the Apex Force and they could control and win engagements. I Do you think that this actually highlights something that I really like about the POS mechanics that is going away, and that's the fact that you can reinforce stuff in any time oh, absolutely. zone? absolutely. Imagine if this war was done under full Citadel mechanics and there were no pauses. It would be pretty fucking bullshit because you'd be forced to 100% fight as an EU time zone. And, you know, whilst I'd really like that because I'd, I'd have had much more fights to take part in, it wouldn't be fair on you guys. You'd have two whole time zones sitting out. It's not and fair. It's worth noting as well, these rathers that you hate so much, they were the reason we never really touched your sob. We knew that you could basically outblob us in EUTZ. And so for that reason, and because your soft timers, your ADMs were so high from all of the ratters doing their thing in Providence, and the miners, of course, that they were so high we could not attack it. The, the widening of the vulnerability timer for Sov was not, or was too short as a result of your high ADMs from the ratters. So the ratters, they protected your Sov, Jin, as much as you would like to think that they're utterly worthless. They're the reason that not once did we touch it apart from just reinforcing your TCU out of spite, saying, haha, we killed a paws. Well, Man, on the... I don't have a problem with ratters. I have a problem with ratters <laughs> fucking die. Don't do it. Fucking, don't be shit. But do you have a problem with FCs who help fleets? Hmm. Yeah, I do. Fucking, I was fucking bad at myself when I wrote that for you. Not good times.
I would love to see Citadels be more like Pokas, um, in that you can attack them almost any time, and they come out at like in the defender's prime. I think that's that's yeah. fine to do. Um, I would almost like to see sort of a switch instead of vulnerability timers have invulnerability times for Citadels. Like there's a small number of hours where you can definitely not get attacked, but then the rest of the time they're shootable. I think having it flipped is, especially when Pass goes away, and um, uh, R64s are now going to be on the new Citadel system, I think that could cause some serious problems. But I mean, uh, MC would like that. That'd work for us, because we have a US and an AU and an EU TZ, which are all relatively strong in their own merits. But for most entities who only have one strong time zone, if you get attacked by an entity with only one strong time zone, Sure, they have the element of surprise for the first couple of rounds of reinforcement, but it doesn't take long, in fact, just a week for you to change those timers such that they can't hit you in their prime time. I personally, I think Pocos are the happy medium where you have the attacker's advantage, they can attack whenever they want, but then defenders make sure they get the fight in their time zone when they can actually show up to defend the structure. I think it's a happy medium that should really be reflected and added to existing structures. Yep. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, if you're, say you don't have every time zone, maybe you're just, like, a U.S. time zone generally, you know, maybe you could have it be, I don't know, most weekdays, uh, late morning, early afternoon, the thing doesn't come into reinforce. So when all your members are at work, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but Most days, to, uh, not every day. Something like that. A little ETs nod and... to convenience would be cool. It's not just e it's not just NOSAC we're talking about here. It's not just invasions. It's just things in general. It's here. yeah. I, mean, I think citadels are are just too strong on that front, and I'd like to see them go a little bit the other way. But I, I mean, they're not like a hundred millionist structure you can throw down like a Poco, and they're considerable amounts of money. So I do think if you're putting that much money down, you should have some control over how vulnerable it is. I just think it gives a little too much right now. But I, I do want to circle back to something. Uh, Artemis, you mentioned that MC just didn't have the numbers in UTZ, despite the massive percentage of pilots that MC has in that time zone. You compare it to the Providence block's strength there, and there's just no comparison. You know, we've run in, or not we've anymore, but back when I was in MC, we ran into that problem quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to even the first contract we took down in period basis where we had a lot of EU pilots and we were up against EU prime targets and, you know, wound up being at the U.S. had to, to come in and either U.S. or like crossover U.S.-EU fleets where we could really bring the numbers um, and they didn't quite have it because they were a bit earlier EU. Like that's what we had to do. We had to bring fleets there to really get things done. Do you feel like it's a shortcoming that MC still can't adapt to that situation such that they know what to do with their pilots in that EU time zone besides lose ships and fleets? I gotta believe there's things that you could be doing besides well, we that, like switching into faster fleets, uh, looking for asymmetric warfare type stuff, but that adaptation is either not happening or if it's trying to happen, it's not being executed. How do you how do you think about that? We did it on this thing. It sucks ass. Oh, oh, sorry. Angry in noises. 
So we, we tried to adapt. We did a couple of things. First of all, the issue with a lot of the things that we wanted to hit, apart from Sov, if you're not shooting at ratters, then you're hitting structures which require an apex force, right? You have one fleet versus another fleet on the same grid. That's where the fight happens. Uh, barring the defenders can try and stop the attackers on their way to the objective, such that if they can't reach the objective, then they can't attack it. So there is a little play there for the defenders, but otherwise you have to be on the same grid. And so your standard um, hit-and-run tactics wouldn't necessarily work, especially with timer targets, which are only vulnerable for a certain number of hours. The other thing is, a lot of the time we worked on within our fleets themselves, we expected to be outnumbered heavily, and we decided to think, okay, what we can do with our doctrines, what can we do with our pilots and our organization to tip the balance back in our favor? We did a couple of tests with changing our material fits. We went from afterburner autocannon materials to microwarp drive arty materials with hardeners specifically versus the EM thermal damage of the nightmares. Um, we did a couple of things like that. We also tried out MWD autocannon materials, which was an interesting choice. Um, we did a number of things like that, playing with fits, also playing with using boosters and things like that to cause chaos on the Providence side, make it harder for them to herd their cats and allow us to have the advantage. The boosters and bombers, which I think would have been the more powerful tool to utilize versus a Providence when you're outnumbered heavily in a single grid fight, we couldn't necessarily use, number one, because it took a lot of dudes from our main fleet, and number two, because Providence has so many people that they have a bunch of dudes just in random ships which are able to, simply through their sheer numbers and variety, counter our plans. Boosters wouldn't work because of the number of frigates and interceptors and hicks that Providence has in every single blob fest. They would just get locked down. Bombers, similarly, the nightmares are incredibly fast, they can, if the FC is paying attention, can get away and avoid most of the bomb damage. So those are two very powerful tools you have to tip the balance in asymmetric warfare in your favor that we did not have at our disposal, or at least we didn't find a way to implement it properly. But we were yeah. trying things. They just weren't always working out in our favor. Yeah, I'm going to say that Providence didn't, you know, Providence has learned a fair few lessons from this. You know, our cap fleet was relatively untested up until this point because we had never really fought an uh, enemy that we can uh, reliably escalate against and not just immediately get dropped with, like, 50 super caps. So it's been super interesting. Um, <clears throat> we've made a lot of fucking mistakes. Uh, you know, some of our big ones were just logistical, like stuff that you would think about after the first time you do it. You know, having caps in with the main fleet, with the DPS, that just becomes hell because you're trying to focus on three different broadcasts and it turns out that you know people have a hard time keeping up with what to shoot if there's three different things being broadcast you know um uh we've also we also really didn't adapt super well in the later parts uh versus mc and pl coming in uh and actually we're probably going to be continuing to fight them for a while even though that you're gone artemis uh just because they seem to have a you know, be sensing some blood in the water with regards to us. Um, so we might see some further flare-ups of fights against PL for whatever time has come around. That should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. MC learned a lot as well. We were, apart from doing our normal contract thing in the area, wanting to have something to do while we were bored, 
We were also doing some structural changes internally, specifically with our FC structure, changing things around, messing with levels of OPSEC, who knows what, who handles what, who's in charge of things. And so Providence was very much uh, throwing that system out of the frying pan into the fire and saying, okay, let's really put this to a combat test, see what works, see what doesn't, and then change it accordingly. And it, this deployment has been incredibly useful to that end. So overall, MC, we didn't, our efficiency wasn't quite what we hoped. We did definitely accomplish our objectives of having something to shoot 24-7 while we were also doing other things. And uh, I think probably had quite a bit of fun as well, except for the ratters. So much salt from the ratters. Yeah, well, you know, for, for every ratter that died, I think there were like NC, or excuse me, MC pilots, you know, jumping into gate camps and you know, having some questionable no. losses as well. I've seen the cohorts. The... Yeah. So a lot of the there were a lot of small ship whelps were the which were the result of our testing out our FC structure, seeing who can fly what, you know, opening up access to certain doctrines without experience level being required for them, things like that. And but the number of camps in Providence is significantly lower than what I recall from previous deployments. I was incredibly surprised. Has something changed, Jen? Because like so many yeah. days were just free and clear. <laughs> Interceptors exist now. There's literally no point in gate camping. Ah, I see. Actually, I found private gate camps really hard, but it's only in like the KBP area. It's really just severance. Everybody else kind of lets it go. We like we only camp the high sec entrances because there's no point camping anything else. That's only because people jump in with non-interdiction nullified chips there. But, but, like, where would you have, uh, say, a pipe camp? Which is what we used to do primarily, you know. You camp S9X, you camp R3, uh, you camp 2TAG, you have eyes on all the surrounding systems, and you kill small, you kill stuff that comes through, you kill small fleets, yeah, good times, everyone's happy. When the predominant fleet that's roaming through your space is interceptors, there's no reason to do that. True, but at least you'd limit it to interceptors, which are... Bad, but not that bad. Like, they're not going to be bringing down ratting Dominixes anytime soon. Uh, no, I suppose not. But, well, actually, yeah, no, we, we've lost many a ratting chip to 20, 30 interceptors because that's the common thing that people like Spectre Fleet or, you know, streamers like BNB um, or Zavox will just run through it. Well, actually, not Zavox because Zavox is uh, our dude, basically. Uh, he actually used to be a part of. Um, Providence. Nice guy. But yeah, like, they're just... They've kind of killed the whole gate camping matter. That's why I have such a vengeance against them. It's because gate camps gave such a way for people to fight. And they're dead. Yep. So, hey. Before we veer off this topic, I did look up, I ran the numbers, PMC... In the fight where NC and PL killed the Providence Cat Fleet, we got on 21.03 billion Iskin kills. That brings, if you exclude that as not being primarily MC or the result of MC whatsoever, that brings our total Isk kill to 258.78 billion compared to the Isk loss, 221.06. So no, NCPL killing your Cat Fleet Jintan did not tip the scales. Well, that still takes it to like 53%. Let me do that math. I should have done that. He said he did the math. I was like, oh, he's got the percentage ready to go. Uh, I did the math backwards. 
Oh, boy. It takes Do you want to say something, Cosmo? Give us a fucking theme tune. I was I was done, sorry. I thought you guys were just having a nice sing along. Well, let's lay it on us, let's go. We had a 53.93 percentage ISK efficiency, excluding all kills on the Providence Capital Fleet Welp. Yeah. So, okay. just under 54. You're on the money there, Jin, with your guest of it. Rounding down. Always do. Oh, I see. <laughs> hey, Jin. Hey, let's move on. Let's not develop it was. And speaking of fun, <laughs> some other fun that I have had in the recent months has been flying in the Eventy Minor League Championship. For those who are unaware, it is a EVE Online spaceship. You, you form teams, you kill other people in spaceships. It's fantastic. It's all run on Thunderdome, which uh, CCP recently introduced to aid with the Alliance Tournament. However, the Eventy Tournament is special because it's not run by CCP. They have the help and assistance of CCP in some technical matters, and of course CCP makes EVE Online the game which the tournament is run in, but it's mostly run by the EVENT crew. Mostly run? Oh, I oh my. I'm sure they're moaning quite a bit with the amount of technical <laughs> headaches they have. But uh, they do a phenomenal job with it. That's why they got our shoutouts. And the minor leagues finished up this weekend. I can give you the final table. Uh, the Mercenary Coalition, the team that had all members and only members of the Mercenary Coalition called the Nasty Boys, we came out in fourth place. First place went to Exodonks, a team mostly from Exodus. Offline had second place. I'm not too familiar. I think they're a hodgepodge of a couple different groups. Sudden Otters, who looked extremely strong at the beginning of the season, ended up in third place. So that is the top four. Those four teams, including Nasty Boys, will be moving on to the major leagues, which still, if I recall correctly, have a few more matches next weekend. So keep an eye out for those. I think they start around 1900 Eve time, twitch.tv slash eve underscore nt. Uh, those, the teams who will be relegated to the EVENT Cup, which is a play-in single elimination tournament to get into the minor leagues, is going to be Megamar Great Again, Templis, Paradox, and Footwork. Uh, the four teams who are moving up get some skins. They are fantastic. They're the IGC victory skins. They look amazing. If I recall correctly, there are some which are not just exclusive to tournament winners that are going on the New Eden store on Tuesday. So, yep, fun things the, all around. Uh, which looks, oh, especially on the new model, which I also believe is going out. Indeed. So, Even T Championship, it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. If you're interested in seeing it, there are Twitch VODs up on Twitch. There are individual uh, matches up on the Even T YouTube channel. A lot of the teams have been posting internal footage of their fights. I personally have been on the Noir YouTube channel, if you're interested in checking that out. Certainly, it's a lot of fun. If you're interested in participating, keep an eye out for the next EVENT Cup, or at the very least, cheer on your favorite team. Yeah, I'm going to be looking at the next EVENT Cup with extreme interest. I don't know if my corp is going to be able to field the team. Uh, just, I mean, we have a lot more numbers than we did a couple months ago, but getting everybody on at one time is still a bit of a challenge, especially to the numbers you need for the event teacup consistently. 
but I would like to get to the point where we could because I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's the great thing about the EVENT Cup. Compared to the Alliance Tournament, which previously had 12-man teams and that's been shaved down to 10-man teams, the EVENT Cup only requires 5 people for a team. So if you can get 10 dudes online consistently, then you can have a team and you can run full internal practices. Uh, Nasty Boys have done practices with other teams. Certainly they are open to it uh, as it is right now. Even T has a lot of teams from the European time zone, so if you have low numbers but you still want to put out a team, if you can get five dudes, poke around, find somebody to scrimmage with. USCZ is a little bit tougher to do that, but certainly the, the threshold as far as human bodies online on a consistent basis is much lower, it's much more accessible for the Even T championship. Yeah, it's also worth noting that the Providence team, probably Shots, did fairly well this, uh, this time. Have they won a match? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I was they, very they disappointed, tried. to be honest with you. Um, I wanted to fight the Pravi team for, for smug purposes, but they were in the major leagues. They were grandfathered in from previous seasons. We just started flying this season, and so we were stuck in the minor leagues. And unfortunately, Pravi Shots is now being relegated to the minor leagues, and we're being promoted to the major leagues, so we'll miss our next opportunity as well. But Maybe one day, fingers crossed, the stars will align, probably will get some good pilots, and they'll get upgraded again. Tactical feed. We had to dodge you for uh, morale purposes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I have no idea what it probably does. I think we won like a couple of matches, because I watched us play. No remember us winning. Maybe that was last season. Fuck. I'm so bad. You won two matches. Two out of... So far, yeah, you have played five. I, I tend to try and watch the whole season at once. Like, I, I'll, put a, I'll put ahead a, like, weekend. That's what I did with last season. Mm. So I look forward to that. Binge it. Yeah, it's like a Netflix show to me, because I get to see everything all at once. I don't have to wait until next week. I mean, that's terrible, because it's all, supposed, it's all streamed live. But, uh... Well, the great thing is, like, the Twitch VODs, the Twitch chat is recorded. I mean, you can't interact with it, but you can see all the cheering for the teams and the smug and the salt. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I like that uh, Twitch has done that. Oh, <laughs> speaking of Twitch, I should probably put that on my highlights. News on that coming up in the broadcast. Um, let's see. Cosmo. Thank yes. you for joining us. Glad to be here. Uh, got a lot of questions for you. So, you know, I, I think a lot of our audience, especially if they're regular Crossing Zebras readers for the past couple of months, will know your articles, but maybe not know you. So let me try to introduce you a little bit better. Um, how did you first, let's start at the beginning. How did you first get into EVE? through about 15 or so trials back in 2006. <laughs> uh, I was underage at that time, and I was just you know, keep uh, spamming trials just because I couldn't have a, a credit card to buy a full sub. So I did, I think, 15 or 16 trials over the course of a whole year <laughs> until I actually stuck and I got the credit card and I could uh, join in with the proper fund. Oh, well, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> There's a story here. <laughs> <laughs> well, go on. Um, well, actually, uh, initially I started with uh, some friends over from uh, an old browser game, TVZK, of Tenar de Rivia Zalos Guitar, it doesn't even matter. 
and um, a lot of those members actually I haven't kept very much in touch but a lot of them right now after you know 10 years of uh, Eve uh, have ended up in PL you know in all, on the larger groups and every time I talk to them it's like a high school reunion where you go like hey so uh, what, what have you been doing huh where are you now I was like uh, I'm just at Crossing Zebras in some on one, one whole corp oh yeah I'm helping supers every day <laughs> So they're like the, the successful guy who now yeah, owns his exactly. own car dealership and you're still interning in New York. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy with my flat. Yeah, I, I have a girlfriend. Yeah, it's nice. But uh, yeah, um, I've always actually liked Eve and past the point of, oh my god, spaceships and lasers. Um, what actually keeps people playing for years and years, it's not the spaceships, it's the community, it's the friendships you can forge here. Uh, and overall, uh, while doing the roundups each week, um, I actually realized how much stuff is going on per week in EVE. Compared to any other game, any other MMO on the market right now, uh, the amount of stuff that is going on per week in EVE, from drama, from uh, change logs, from... Uh, Pretty much everything is phenomenal. Yeah, they've been the communication has been on point, um, or at least more on point than historically is the case. Not everything perfect, of course, and we have a couple instances of of some communication breakdowns, I would say, or at least uh, opt-in disasters. <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, so you mentioned that you're in a wormhole corp right now. Are you uh, primarily yeah. a wormholer? What do you do with your eve time when you're not writing? Uh, honestly, right now I split it between uh, wormholes uh, whenever I can get on. And uh, playing with alphas, actually. I have a few alpha characters maxed out and uh, engaging in the more limited uh, stuff that they can do. Uh, I've gone on uh, Gnosis Solo Roams. Uh, I've done um, high sick, uh, running around in a f um, industrial with uh, you know expensive stuff in the hold, but super tanked, and people just kill themselves like a single tornado kills themselves on me, and I can sell the kill rate for like thirty million or something. Again, it's content that I would have not engaged in uh, with you know my main or something. It's just some throwaway characters that I can do fun stuff with. That does sound like fun. Again. Um... It's a benefit to the alpha program that me, as a long-standing player, actually ha can find new ways of playing EVE and uh, better ways of playing EVE than, you know, I haven't tried so far because there's a certain uh, reputation attached to your character. You know, you can't just drop and join something else. But with uh, no name, like like three or four alphas, you can do whatever the hell you want. Faction warfare, soloing, uh, crap talking in Cheetah, have fun with it. And what's been your favorite Thing that you've discovered to do in an alpha class? Uh, honestly, <laughs> um, I've tried it for a little while, but there was there is so much fun in uh, ganking high sec mission runners, uh, just because. He, there's content absolutely always. There's always at least a few guys that are you know semi FK from their uh, computer doing level four missions. And you can fuck with them, basically. And it's amazingly fun because you can, it's a quick, uh, you know, it's like faction warfare. You just join the game and immediately you have something to do. You know, you don't have to wait for anything. It's there. How are you ganking 
mission runners and an alpha clone, I would think you wouldn't have access to the ships you'd need to do that. Again, uh, having access to agnosis and having access to implants, and you can get some pretty good uh, stats out of that. You can get like 700 DPS with tanking, I don't know, 1.5 K a second. It, it's ridiculous if you actually uh, go full hog on the concept of uh, getting the most uh, fun you can out of an alpha, out, the most uh, efficient you can out of, out of an alpha. And that's why I've actually well, enjoyed it. To be clear, are you like ganking them through Concord, or are you baiting them into aggressing you and then killing them that baiting way? Baiting into aggressing, yeah. Ah, okay, okay, okay. I thought you were suicide ganking. I was like, what? How's that going? Oh, no, I never actually got along with the whole suicide ganking as a concept. No, no, I follow you. Okay. Uh, and how did you get into writing? What started you on that path? Uh, I have always written in one form or another, if not for EVE, uh, for other games. Uh, I just didn't have an exact uh, platform for me to actually do this on. Um, so about, I think it's already been a year and a half now. <laughs> um, I, I was writing stuff on Reddit, like walls of text, and I got uh, poked by uh, Niden, Niden, actually. Uh, and uh, he was like, hey, would you like to write those wall of text with a bit of editing on Crossing Zebras? And I was like, mm, yeah, sure, let's give it a shot. But uh, it actually is fantastic because uh, writing for a major media publication within EVE, be it AN24, be it uh, INN, be it uh, Crossing Zebras, uh, does give your ideas a wider uh, reach. Uh, just um, on Crossing Zebra specifically, I know for sure that there are a few CCP devs that actually read Crossing Zebras, uh, Zebras, 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 whatever. I'm going for American pronunciation. Crossing Zebras D- depends on which side of the Atlantic you're on. I yeah, think. exactly. Um, and I know uh, those ideas reach those eyes, you know, and it's fantastic because that's one of the things a lot of people don't realize. We've been having a bit of issue getting writers, but uh, they don't realize you can actually get that reach can actually be that influential by just writing some words on a website. And speaking of what you write, uh, what really brought you to my attention was the things you missed this week in EVE. And I know you're not doing that article series anymore, at least you haven't for a while, but could you talk a little bit about... um, I mean, yeah, well, I guess I know uh, why you're doing it because they're they're awesome to do. I'm more interested in like the how. How do you get so many stories? It feels like you're almost everywhere at the same time uh, with your finger on the pulse of what's going on in Eve Online. That must take an extreme amount of research. <sighs> yeah, actually, that's been okay. Let's talk a bit for why I'm, I'm not doing it right now anymore. Um, it's it takes a lot of time. I initially tried to cover almost everything, as you probably said. Um, the thing is, uh, it I used to do this every Sunday, pretty much. It would take me about four to f- uh, four to five hours of actual writing and researching, you know, post. But uh, it also took me uh, uh, during the week. I have a the Google Doc file in which I kept posting everything that I see, be it on Twitter, be it on uh, YouTube, be it on Reddit, which Reddit honestly was most of my thing, uh, be it on the e-forums. It just went there. Something interesting, copy-paste. And uh, I checked these resources almost daily. That's why it was easy for me to do it. Um, and 
having that wealth of things stocked up over the week just made it easy for the end of the week. Uh, I also have a few resources, um, like um, uh, I checked YouTube for the last week just to make sure I highlight some people that usually would not get the views, but they do make interesting content. Uh, I also check uh, Divine Art for latest art. There are some things that appear only there, for example. Uh, initially, the whole concept of what you missed this week was based on uh, the fact that I would I wanted to do more highlighting of stuff that you would actually miss, you know, good stuff, um, uh, stories, uh, art, uh, just community involvement that otherwise you would miss if you're not doing what I do, you know, day in, day out, I check these things. That's fantastic, man. And I, I really do appreciate the diversity of the content as well. It's not necessarily just news. Like you said, you check DeviantArt, you check YouTube. Uh, you're you're putting a spotlight on really creative elements of the Eve community, and you know I I speak from experience as a creator, both starting out with the podcast, uh, starting out with Twitch, starting out with YouTube. You know it's hard to to get yourself off the ground. Luckily the podcast took off, but like now I'm switching over to streaming and trying to get that off the ground. And it's it's hard to get to get eyes on your stuff unless you already have eyes on your stuff. So to have someone like you promoting these tremendously creative people uh, along with recapping the news and recapping the events of the week that everyone should sort of be talking about, I thought that was a really nice touch. And it really showed uh, a willingness to go above and beyond and, and think a little bit outside the box as well. Um, my biggest failures have been in terms of stuff that I had hoped I would be able to cover better as time moved on, as in, I would have hoped to get more people involved, um, but it just didn't pan out. Um, I, while I do know the basic uh, political structures of Eve, I'm totally not acquainted with uh, recent deployments, uh, stuff that is happening on terms of nullsec and stuff like that. I've tried doing a bit of that, but it just uh, came out um, a bit, not exactly half-assed, but. Uh, not up the level of quality that they wanted from it. I tried interacting with uh, Sullivan Harden of uh, EN24, uh, and that worked out for a while. Uh, but in the end, I really would have liked to have one guy that's hardcore on that, be able to deliver that bit of Eve that I cannot. But uh, it's just been hard getting, uh, I don't mean quality people, I just been getting people involved in general. Uh, people think this is this huge thing, but usually, you know, uh, you already have your finger on the pulse, you know, you're already in those communities and checking those stuff out. Uh, so it'd be easy at the end of the week just to have like a 15-minute conversation with me. I go like, hey, this happened, this happened, this happened, and I can do a write-up that's more comprehensive and insightful than what I, I could do on my own. Absolutely. Uh, why have you stopped the series, or why have you sort of taken a, a break with it? Um, again, initially it was a matter of I missed, um, usually I only did, I missed two dates and every, every time I did it on the Monday. Uh, but having that continuous thing uh, of five hours each Sunday, let's say I wake up 10, 12 on a Sunday because I'm lazy, uh, I know for pretty much sure that half or not most of my Sunday goes in that particularly. Um, so uh, it's a strain on my actual personal life and uh, actually if I miss a day or two of not checking uh, my resources, I have to catch that up on Sunday. 
so it actually take a lot more than just you know those uh, four hours that I mentioned. Um, right now, I'm trying to figure out a way to restructure this. Uh, I have a, a decent amount of free time at work, and I may move this roundup to Friday because I can you know do about. Uh, writing in the middle of my work schedule, which I can do for hours, for example, on Friday. Um, but I would also want to slim it down a bit. Um, there are some sections with that which I have missed. Um, for example, Rex of the Week, uh, which was in amazing initially, but again, I just don't have the resources to have a constant stream of content that I can highlight. Uh, so that has been going down to zero. Um, I will probably remove extra credits, which initially, I love the concept of it, just a random spout of philosophy mixed in with uh, random links that, you know, you still might find interesting from the eve. Um, and I probably will also try to, at the very least, expand the thought of the week, which was uh, just one of the big things that happened that week. I give it a bit of a mini-column article kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it will lose some of the the uh, pump of having it like a Sunday paper because that's the original concept. Just having it a Sunday paper, something you can get into crossing zebras, actually really open a can of beer and enjoy yourself for half an hour and knowing you're you know up to date, you're in tune with the community. I want to say that I, I completely empathize with that because that's something that I try to do with the uh, weekly CSM updates and it was fucking brutal. <laughs> can't write content uh, at any sort of high level week in week out if you're not like basically getting paid for it it just destroys your life oh it's got to be a full-time thing i mean yeah i have i tried respect. doing a weekly podcast version of declarations of war for like a month and i was so done with it i know yeah. i have a huge amount of respect for salvan because he does um battle reports Every goddamn day, you can hear him in our uh, Discord chat, uh, crossing zebras, just going, "Oh my god, I have to write like four BRs," and I'm like, "Man, you don't have to, you know." Um, but I knew it from the start that this would be something that would be hard for me. Actually, keeping a schedule and being on point every uh, every day and every Sunday to do this, uh, I've done it. I think four, or five months, uh, end to end, including uh, December. Uh, I did the whole of December, including, I think I had, had one up on the 2nd of January. I had a roundup up, you know. Uh, but so it was a bit of a challenge for me as well, being able to have and keep that schedule. But uh, the moment I really missed one time, uh, I missed it horribly. I, it was about Tuesday or Wednesday. And I only then I had time to actually start writing it. And I went like, oh, it's a bit late to do it now. And once I went down that slippery slope... Uh, it was hard to keep the you know the thing up. Well, that needed context, but <laughs> it was hard to keep the uh, the roundup uh, actually going. Um, the thing is, uh, feedback does matter uh, in these uh, kind of events because uh, I was writing all of this in a bubble, pretty much. Uh, I uh, didn't get exactly any feedback from minus when I actually screwed up horribly. I got a little scandal when I pseudo not even really endorsed thermal damage and everybody was like on my shit for that uh but uh i didn't get any exact feedback on this like i could hear people going like hey that's nice but okay what do you want to see more from this how would you want to see it done better um i can understand there is a certain um detachment from uh, readers but that little bit of engagement uh 
helps me write a better uh, article and also has me get, uh, you know, the push, the oomph uh, to actually get it done. Uh, because uh, in the end, you know, you do this every week, every week, every week. And in the end, you don't even end up with some comments on you know, Reddit or something. And you just start thinking, okay, there is no one that actually reads these things. You know, why am I even doing them? And uh, at once at one point, uh, shared with me, um, I get about 1,500 unique hits for the weekly roundups. And I was completely shocked and baffled by this, you know. I mean, you have, you have 1,500 people unique that read my shit and I was like, where are they? <laughs> I can see them. Well, it's, it's like uh, our podcast. You get five, 7,000 people download it and like eight people vote in the poll. That's just the way it is. But yeah, in that point you have to you have to get your draw, your you know, your juice, your flow from something else. Uh, this was easy for me to do because it was an extension of something I was already doing. But the moment I started uh, doing more with it, more than I you know was initially planning to, uh, it started becoming uh, a larger strain. That's why I'm thinking of how to slim it down, how to make it fit with my schedule, and how would it be something for me to do that's you know, easy and almost, you know, haphazard. Mm-hmm. Well, since we have you on here, uh, we thought, what did we miss this week in EVE? That's sort of the approach we would take to covering our top stories. We're not going to go super in-depth into all of these, but we do have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, top of the hour, so to speak, uh, there's been some skirmishing in Tinal, uh between the Germans. We got Galactic, Scarfleet Empire, or Sky Empire, or whatever, GSE, and Lumpy versus In Panic and a few other smaller alliances. And, you know, I only put this out there because it's interesting because they're putting some, like, shitposting on Reddit, which is how it got to my attention. And also, it's very unusual that you see the groups that are in, like, the branch Tenal area, specifically, like, in Tenal itself fighting each other. I actually can't remember a time that's happened outside of a like a huge coalition level engagement like the World War B where like Saab was changing hands from one block to another. I've never seen anyone in Tinal like fight with each other. Usually the occupants of Tinal is like Razor or or some other single large hegemonic alliance that's surrounding itself with renters or blues or pets. And they have sort of like a a bluish relationship with the guys in Branch, a somewhat hostile relationship with the guys in Tenal, or excuse me, in Venal, and like usually a hostile relationship, but not like invasion-y hostile with the guys in the drone regions. So I just think it's noteworthy that there's infighting in a remote, traditionally tranquil region like Tenal. It's worth noting that the reason why you don't see Tino take, you know, a huge precedence um, in terms of that political stance is just because of how uh, devalued, um, basically, basically space and the things that Tino originally had over most other regions has become. I mean, Tino is a northern region. It used to have quite a lot of the most valuable moons, which were for a long time kind of the biggest uh, source of income for alliances. Uh, and it's swung completely the other way now. Uh, what's most important is very, very safe ratting space. And in uh, the current kind of system of 
uh, basically how you make money, how you rap. Tino doesn't offer that because it's, uh, you know, under the offensive umbrella of a lot of other regions which are hostile to it. So you end up with basically a region that has pretty decent means, but no real uh, easy logistics route to it. And that's why it's been left to these smaller entities. You know, it's not quite the gem as it once was. Uh, and that leads to this kind of awesome East versus West kind of <laughs> civil war that we've got going on between the two Germans, of which I hope Lumpy win, because uh, Reloads and Lumpy, he's a sound dude. I, yeah, I'm I'm pulling for Lumpy as well, but um, I I don't, I disagree that it's it's not a safe region. Uh, the, the jump range between um, the German regions and Tinal is it's it's like it can't be crossed. You have to go in through a gate. So it's very safe from invasion in that way. And they're not super hostile to the folks in Branch. And, you know, the folks that live in Tenal, or excuse me, in Venal, <laughs> which they're slightly differently named, uh, the Venal guys traditionally, like I said, unless it's a invasion where you have like a pandemic legion that's staging out of the NPC stations in Venal, Unless there's some major deployment like that, just like the folks that regularly live there are not going to be seriously threatening you. Uh, like certainly not in a strategic umbrella type sense. So I don't, I, I don't think it's as vulnerable as you're depicting. Um, I just think that we're maybe seeing some of the new SOV system come into play where it's just not, it's just not feasible or desirable to have. Uh, a, a sort of like mid-sized group like Razor, which I guess they're on the larger side, a little, but they're not really super alliance level like Test, to have them own an entire region like that when you can parcel it out more safely to smaller groups. I think you're failing to de-intertwine the current political situation as the situation it could be if Tino was more valuable. Um, don't forget that if it was more valuable, then it would have been the center of the PLNC renting empire. That would have been the place that they based their area around. But there's no reason for them to do that because Tino isn't a particularly good region. And also Vino and um, it, that its connections to the drone regions mean that it is very easy to drop, say, supers or capitals on racking supers or uh, Rukor fleets, which are your primary sources of, um, you know, coalition, uh, not coalition level, uh, individual member level income, which you can then tax and make money off of as an alliance. As we are slowly seeing this kind of build towards um, the inevitable dream of uh, farms and fields based income. Well, fair point. I mean, you have to be willing to take your caps and supers through gates, which most of Zero Zero isn't willing to do these days. Perhaps. Because then there's no way you can cross from Tenal to the drone regions with a jump drive. You need to go through one regional gate. No, but you take one regional gate and you can jump onto anything you want, which is the main concern. Yeah. It's like the, uh, you know, the uh, fucking droid region supers that people like Hard Knocks have. <laughs> They don't own the region, they don't live there, but you know, if they ever get a hole there, they can just fuck you up real good, son. Yeah, just, you know, null sec players, in, especially with cap ships and gates, reminds me of the, uh, the scene from Jurassic Park. It's like, are they contained? Sure, unless they can open doors. <laughs> <laughs> if, 
Yeah. If the Velociraptors realize they can go through the gates, then we're all fucked. But right now they're oh, just God. running into them and be like, oh, it's bubbled. God damn. That's a fucking funny image. Yeah. I'm waiting for the fucking Photoshop now. It's just like a Velociraptor <laughs> with a mix with it. Please, please tweet this Photoshop to me. You'll guaranteed retweet. It'll probably Bonus points if it's a YouTube video. Remember, kids, PL can't see you if you don't move. <laughs> well, no. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Speaking of lumpy and propaganda, there was a lot of phenomenal propaganda during the catch war of Lumpy's little fox, right? I'm bad with animals, okay? And the just let it happen squid octopus thing. I apologize for getting those wrong if I did, but it was, it was fantastic. Like this stuff was freaking cute. It was high quality. Everybody loved it no matter which side they were on. And just let it happen recently had a bit of drama and a little bit of a scandal with CCP over their name. Which was interesting. Uh, somebody, effectively it came out, there was a Reddit post, Just Let It Happen's alliance name was removed. It was defaulted back to the generic corporation or alliance and then a string of numbers, which happens when CCP removes name. You'll see them more commonly on characters whose names were removed back during a purge of all dead accounts. And they had their name removed, and there was a Reddit post that went up, and a bunch of people got angry, and someone came into the Reddit thread claiming to be the person responsible, and effectively they had been the victim of some sexual assault. They ran into this alliance within EVE Online, were not happy about the connotation of the name, and requested it be removed. CCP went through their normal process, presumably a GM was assigned, they took a look at it, took a look at the context, said, yeah, okay, I can see where this could be a problem, and removed it. And then the backlash hit. Well, I think a key element there is I don't really think that they looked at the context, but uh, the backlash was, uh, I think the community kind of exploded for a day. Certainly Reddit did. To like perform my mandatory CSM member CCP damage control TM. Uh, this was basically just a minor, you know, a lower, lower tier quote unquote GM who fucked something up, wasn't aware of kind of how, how this is held within the community. Uh, obviously, the um, alpha changes meant that CCP has taken on a lot more GMs. So, not everyone is quite up to date on their meme warfare in EVE Online. Uh, and things got changed. And they Actually, changed back pretty quickly. You know what? I uh, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this, but uh, everything that happened in that sequence of events was proper. Uh, that yeah. user had the right to report that uh, name. Uh, the GM indeed was assigned. He made a conscious decision, and it was the proper decision in regards to the EULA uh, and user license agreement. And uh, the backlash, the fact that the CCP actually uh, succumbed to the backlash is something that I personally uh, do not like. Uh, CCP has had this internal struggle of trying to also be the nice guy, but also the guys actually running a gaming company. And uh, after the backlash, I uh, was talking in the CZ uh, Discord, and I said, okay, how would this end up 
being run on Kotaku, for example, other large gaming media sites. Uh, like CCP, the founders of EVE Online, uh, side with uh, uh, Just Let It Happen, uh, a corporation that uh, has taken advantage, insert media hype here and wrong allegations, uh, of a sexually ab abused user. Uh, Patricia Hernandez, for example, of Kotaku, is a, a huge feminist and would get on that and get like a million hits on that article alone. And it would make uh, CCP look extremely bad if that were to happen. Well, uh, here's the thing, yeah, though. To be fair, fuck Kotaku. Like, just fuck that site. It's so yeah. But they have the reach. They can... Yeah. They never play EVE anyway. <laughs> I, uh, they, they might have some reach, but yeah, I don't think they have credibility. And I don't think that their particular demographic would be what EVE is going for anyway. Um, my when... my view on that is there's so much in Eve that a social justice warrior could just pick and twist into something that I don't think they need any inciting incidents like let it happen. I just think they would go do it, and they probably have done it for all I know. Uh, it's I mean there's just so 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 much in here that's not sanitized to social justice warrior specifications, which consistently move. Anyway, because that kind of movement tends to eat itself. I so, you know, to, you I can't placate them. There is no placating them. If they decide to put you in your shit list, you're just going to be there. And it doesn't matter whether you're CCP, quote, bowing to edgelords, or you're uh, a, a blockbuster filmmaker who does bend over backwards to write very decent, well-constructed, respectful women characters um like joss whedon for instance you know if you they'll nitpick till they get something and they'll sensationalize it for hits on their tumblr or their shitty gaming website and then that's that's it it's just a fact of the internet just like 4chan is a fact of the internet you kind of have to expect them yes i'd like to say that the the uh the Name that they decided on if they weren't allowed to change their name back to just let it happen was even better though. It was, uh, <laughs> please respect my pronouns. That was offered immediately after they got their name changed. You can have a free rename change, no issues. So it wasn't like they got their lion's name changed and that's it, end of story. No, uh, there was a lot to play there. And again, the fact that uh, they, uh, CCP, fully went back on it. Mm. Uh, but again, uh, the th what I'm trying to underline here is that uh, Eve and CCP do not live inside the bubble. Uh, stuff can happen around in the actual internet, in the real world. So uh, when investors or high-ranking management people in CCP start getting uh, notifications or, you know, getting heard that, oh, hey, we're doing something bad here. Because, again, EVE is, uh, lives in a larger world here, and it can be affected by it. As much as we keep our little bubble hidden from the internet and general uh, world at large, it does live in that world and can be affected. That's why I'm mentioning that uh, that amount of bad press, which, honestly, I'm surprised how it uh, avoided it, uh, can affect our game. No, and I, mean, and I, I get that, and I see where you're coming from. Um, I, I just think, you know, I see stories of companies like pulling Walking Dead shirts uh, because someone once heard a racist version 
of a like children's not like gamey nursery rhyme thing yeah. that mm-hmm. Negan uses. It's a perfectly fine line from the show. I had never heard the racist version of it when I was a kid, uh, but I guess apparently it's a thing. But because some ple- some people are racist now, no one could have shirts like that. It it's it's getting a bit too much and. I don't, I, I don't think that companies should automatically bow down to that kind of outrage. I think more companies need to do what CCP did, which is take a step back, look at everything in the context, think about their customer base, think about their communities, and then make a more informed decision that's not necessary. Maybe it is sometimes hearing that outcry and going, okay, something is wrong. But just as often, if not more often, it should be, mm, should we take a more restrained approach to this and let our own customers and our own community figure that out for themselves? And if they don't want to buy the shirt, they don't buy the shirt. You know, If they don't want to play the game, they don't play the game. Um, I will say I agree with you and disagree with you, circling way back to the beginning of what you said, Cosmo. I agree with you that the process worked. I, I guess I somewhat disagree with you on like the actual sequence of events on where it worked. Um, so I'll kind of explain what I mean. In my professional life, I have managed a team of um, of customer support people. I've done customer support. I will be doing customer support in the future. Right. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yin made a great point that, you know, they're bringing in lots of new people to handle this massive expansion of support requests, and a lot of these new folks just do not have the cultural context of EVE. My view is that CCB ultimately arrived at the correct decision, but the process also worked to get there. Um, The person in question made a report, which I totally agree with you, they have every right to do. CCP took it. They reviewed it. The GM made a reasonable, but I would say ultimately incorrect decision to change the name of the alliance. But it was a reasonable thing to do. And in the process of changing the name, they were offered a free name change, which is absolutely correct as well. You don't just screw an alliance and stick them with that rando name. So that part was handled well. There was community outcry understandably, CCP reviewed it at a higher level, which is called escalation, which is what you do. Uh, And then that more experienced person who has been in the game longer and knows more about how these types of incidents are handled and knows more about the culture of the community and more about the context of the game and language and all that stuff that related to the game went, okay, you know, this... I can see where you're coming from, but this wasn't the right move. I'm sure they explained to that GM why and how to handle things in the future and probably brought it up at their next team meeting. Um, and it was ultimately reversed back. I don't think CCP owes anybody an apology. I think the system worked, and the result that was arrived at was ultimately the correct one, and most steps to get there were pretty correct as well. And... I think, all told, I know that you're concerned about the outcome, Cosmo, but I'm somewhat gratified that CCP had the 
I don't know what you want to call it. I would say courage to side with the community of the people that actually use their product and love their product and dump ridiculous amounts of hours and money into it versus the outrage of strangers who would never, of, of potential outrage of potential strangers who would never think of trying it anyway. Uh, I feel like they, quote, sided with us, end quote, and then sided with the outside world. And maybe that's not always the best business decision, but hopefully it is for them, and certainly I'm appreciative of it as a customer. Well, I am... Go ahead, Uh, Sure. This is just my last bit here, but um, in my mind, if you were to balance uh, those two outcomes... Um, just let it happen. Already had a backup name, which was just as edgy, and again, it have worked to solve that ticket because again, the name would have been changed. And they, while they cared about the existing name, they could have easily memed their way into another name and grow to love that as well until the next ticket, maybe. <laughs> but um, the point here is, uh, the imbalance you have this, which isn't all that important, to be fully honest. Indeed, the bigger concept of CCP actually siding with us is important, but the low matter of fact that uh, you have an alliance getting their name changed to, to a ticket isn't that high, uh, important compared to uh, all the potential actual issues that could have uh, occurred of this. I'm talking from legal, from uh, PR, from uh, marketing, all that stuff. Um, so in the balance of it, I think CCP made a weaker decision. I can applaud them indeed for uh, siding with their core user base, but I don't know if uh, that lends uh, CCP any more credibility in uh, them being uh, a non-influenceable actor uh, within the context of EVE Online. That's fair. Um, Yeah. I, I guess my view of it is I don't think that... I would be more concerned if the community outrage led them to uh, an end or a result that I thought was not the optimal one. I guess that's where my feelings would be. But I I feel like the community, it was outrage. It was a bit of a mob. But, you know, there there should also be some element of listening to the community. It's not always wrong to do that. Um, You just kind of have to pick your battles with it. And I think they picked a relatively good one. I mean... To take it to the extreme, which is where this would lead, like, will Pandemic Legion get their name changed because, you know, someone lost their family in some sort of viral outbreak, and now they're (laughs) super upset and triggered whenever they see anything related to pandemics or being sick, and so now that they're super upset, they, you know, we have to get that changed now. Um, No holes barred, well, that's clearly also a rape thing, so they need to get their... uh, their alliance name changed as well. There's so there's so much potential for abuse here, and it's not even like a theoretical slippery slope. You see these things happening in the wider world, and I don't know. I, I just think it's a, a a dangerous path for the CCP to go down. Um, I wouldn't like to see them start, but I, I I do understand, and I think you're right that there are risks with it. Um, you know, I'm not not ignorant to that fact, and I'm sure they're not either. Overall, I'm I'm really happy with the situation. Uh, I come down on the opposite side of Cosmo. I'm actually happy with the end result. 
but I'm more proud of the situation in general and how it worked out and the systems that are in place. To give a bit of an analogy of how happy I am with this, CCP has consistently said that they are the janitors of New Eden. They clean things up, they keep things orderly, they stop something that gets out of hand, but in general, they keep their hands off. And it seems to me like in this particular instance, we could think of it like a school can be plagued by graffiti. And this time, it wasn't graffiti. It was the first first grade class who had an art project to make a mural on the wall. But a janitor went out, he saw this painting on the wall, and did his job. He erased it, and then it was escalated properly through customer service. The first graders cried out to the first grade teacher, who then went to the school administrator. They realized, they made a decision, they said, okay, that was a mistake, it was a judgment call. He was perfectly right to make that judgment, but we think it needs to be reversed. So no matter which side of the judgment call you're on, I think you can be proud of CCP and how they handle the situation, and the, the systems they have in place, and honestly surprised at the lack of outrage over the situation. I was proud of the community and the lack of senseless hatred that has historically come out in similar controversies. So I'm happy all around that this happened. I'm proud of the EVE community, and I think the community's better off as a result. I like that analogy. Uh, and I also want to shout out, I think the rapidity with which it got dealt with also played into the fact that there was no lasting animosity. So I think CCP deserves a little credit for that in that they didn't let it fester, uh, and they didn't sort of hide away and, and avoid communicating about it. They realized there was an issue, figured out what they were going to do about it, and they communicated it very clearly almost immediately. I think it was, what, 48 hours or something? Yeah, I think three days was the whole uh, event. But um, CCP is, is in a position that they, they put themselves to be very hard to, you know, do something like No Man's Sky and just completely shut off communication and nobody can reach them. You have CSM, you have... CCP Falcon commenting on Reddit and being active, you know, half the dev team is active on Twitter. Uh, they cannot just put their hand in the sand because they can't. They have people they interact with daily and they will bring that up to them, you know. And they are being kept responsible in a more uh, direct way uh, than any other company would be by their user base. Yeah, great point. All right, I don't, I don't want to belabor this too much, although I think we've got an awesome discussion. We've got tons more to talk about, you guys. We just had a patch. We haven't talked about the patch on the podcast. Um, some highlights of the patch that we just had. Uh, citadels, you can now repair inside them. And that includes modules. There have been changes to the heavy interdictor. And now that there are three warp disruption scripts, the bubble, the long-range focus point, and a shorter-range focus scram. So now the the focused point no longer removes micro-warp drives. That is now a new script that you have to switch into. I think that's a really interesting, innovative change. I kind of like it. Um, I think it gives HIC pilots a lot more choice um, and opens up even some new fitting options for them, especially in 0-0. They can go with three disruptors and you know, have to make trade-offs elsewhere. I think it's great all around. Uh, the Rourke Wall, really interested in, in Yin's thoughts here, that the Rourke Wall now can no longer activate the Panic Module unless it has an asteroid locked. So no more, you know, Panic Module Solve, Panic Module Citadel stuff. 
It's uh, purely panic in the asteroid belts. No more panic at the disco, just panic at the belts. (laughs) (laughs) Yin, do you think that will solve a lot of the issues with the Oracle? Honestly, this patch could just be summed up with, oh my god, finally things we've been talking about have been fixed. Right? It's, It's great. It's like bubbles, you know, they now decay. Oh, yes. Hicks. And the kill rolls for them, too. Hicks aren't quite as oppressive. They didn't lose the kind of, some of the function that they have. You know, they were, I think this is probably one of the better ways to do it. I wouldn't mind seeing that scram range creep up a tiny bit, but not much more than where it is right now. Walks are no longer a hilariously oppressive jump and tackle everything within 10 light years. Windmobile. Uh, I, I admit, you know, the mechanic that's used for it isn't as elegant as Dog shit. But <clears throat> it's it's uh, ham fisted, but it's getting the job done, I think. You know, the fighting <laughs> mechanics are something I've talked about before. I'm happy that they're changing a little bit. Uh, I think it might be a bit too high, and that was something I raised as a concern originally. I was hoping for like a 20 or 30 increase as opposed to a nearly 100%, but hey, I'll, I'll take it. You know, anything that makes my... <laughs> Anything that makes battleships better. Um, the new hull model, the new hull models are pretty cool, and uh, the probing changes need some work. But we gave a lot of feedback on that, and we're happy to hear feedback from everyone else on it. Um, yeah. My biggest issue with how the work was managed as a rebalance or retweak, or how you want to call it, is that it's uh, systemic of how CCP fixes things. You know, you read uh, a document or something and you have like little asterisks that leads to the uh, the footnotes of it. That's pretty much how they deal with these kinds of situations, which is a poor one. Uh, I also bring up how they fixed the entosis modules initially. Hey, just slap on some ass because. Um, indeed, these need to be solved, but uh, you have a new player. Okay, not a new player, but you have someone getting that module. You put it, he put it on the ship. And then he has to know some uh, obtuse gameplay mechanic in order for them to, you know, actually use it properly. And that's a poor way to do it and explain how that works to people. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. It's very easy to understand, though, right? It's you can't fit entosis modules onto interceptors, and if you're a good Eve player, if you're the Eve player, I think most of the community wish all EVE players were, then you know how to read show info windows of modules and see the little asterisks. You can take a look at the attributes of the Intosis module see, oh, it adds mass. Okay, that's something I have to take into account. Take a look at the panic module see, oh, I have to have an asteroid locked before I can activate this thing. Okay, if it suits my purposes, then I'll use it. If it doesn't, then I don't. And there is a, a desire for intuitive gameplay, certainly. But you grab a new player in the EVE, and first of all, they're not flying a Roracle or messing around with Entosis modules, but even you hand them a Scrambler, a Warp Scram, they're not going to know what that does. They're not going to know the difference between a Scram and a Disruptor. There's a certain amount of a learning curve there that players will have to deal with, and I don't think it's a problem at all that CCP adds these asterisks just because players are expected to know these things anyway. But it really does reach a point where you have an overflowing of uh, informational density that you have to get through, uh, which is above just, uh, you know, seeing the module going like, oh, yeah, this uh, Entosis stuff. 
No, you actually need to get delve deep into it. You have to start reading why people are using it the way it does. Oh, because of that particular patch note at that date, because of that particular reason. I'm just saying that, uh, specifically with the Aurora call right now, uh, this could have been solved, as Jim said, more elegantly. More in terms with uh, how someone would expect the internal logic of the game to play, instead of just asterisk because. And I... Well, I, I both agree with you and agree with Aramis. Um, if you look at the Warp Disruptor and Warp Scrambler, Warp Disruptor 1 description disrupts the target ship navigation computer, which prevents it from warping. Okay, that's pretty cool. Warp Scrambler disrupts the target ship's navigation computer, which prevents it from warping or using a micro-warp drive. That's the only thing that says anything about the Scram's turn-off MWDs, which is a huge, huge deal. It doesn't say it anywhere else in the stats, yeah. in the fitting, required skills, attributes, nothing. So if you're not going to read it, then you will have no idea like what it's what the difference is. So I do think it's not unreasonable to expect people to read. I think CCP definitely has to make sure it's documented and documented in clear, easily understood language. But I do get that there's a lot of complexity in EVE, and there's really no reason to just like go out of your way to add tons more. Uh, I guess what I my ultimate thing would be, I'm fine with the change. I'm happy it's there, and it was done quickly, relatively quickly, and that maybe at some point in the future, you know, if a dev has time, they could figure out how to get it done a little more elegantly. But I think the Rourke was a big problem and it needed to be fixed fast. Well, moving on a bit, uh, talking about bubbles, um, I think Jin has some ideas on that. But uh, the times, uh, the decay times that were given for them, I think uh, it's one week or something, are still way over what they should be. Um, I certainly, I'd also like to just go back for a a second onto your discussion on elegance. Elegance is lovely. Everyone loves elegance. Elegance sometimes doesn't get done. That's that's all I'm going to say, you know. Would you rather have this solution or potentially no solution? Just throwing it out there, don't want to discussion it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, when, I, when we came to talk about that, to the meeting on interdiction nullification and bubbles in general with CCP, my initial response was delete static bubbles entirely. And, you know, I, I was pretty hard line on what I wanted in the game. Uh, and, you know, it got toned back and we came to this kind of conclusion as something that's acceptable. But if it, if it does become like a more rampant problem, I think it will be solved. But we're going to need to find out what use cases this one week timer is still degenerating and kind of make a use case around that as opposed to just saying, you know, Bubbles that live forever are kind of fucking bullshit, which everyone agrees with. I, I'm i glad we can still be friends after your dereliction of duty asking for static bubbles to be removed entirely. Anchorable <laughs> bubbles are useful. Not everyone can afford to have the number of fleet people to get a dictor, okay? You need some... Some bridge of those gaps. Got to be able to force fights. Oh, Mister no. hates interdiction nullification. Well, but it seems like fights certainly happen in Losec, and there are no bubbles there at all. 
and <laughs> they don't happen nearly as frequently as I wish they would, uh, considering I've spent an inordinate amount of hours roaming around and haven't gotten a goddamn thing. That's also because there's fuck all people in Losec, but... <laughs> um, at the end of the day, I, I, my objection to Bubbles doesn't come from a, like a pure gameplay standpoint, it comes from a game design philosophy standpoint. It comes from the fact that, you know, everything is moving away from passive gameplay, you need someone here to do this task. You know, why should Bubbles be any different from that? Why don't you have to have a dude doing Bubbles? But that's beside the point. I, th I think the way these changes are right now are perfectly adequate. I've not seen them be particularly broken yet. But Cosmo, go ahead and kind of, can you elaborate and bring some use cases to me? Uh, use cases? Uh, honestly, I, most of my experience regarding Bubbles uh, have been uh, getting into carrier pockets. Uh, and I still think one week is, which, let's be, let's be fair, besides the actual uses of static camps, which happen for like 28, uh, 24 hours or something, uh, most of the uses of bubbles right now and most of the kill mails you actually see on Ezekiel regarding bubbles come from those uh, bubble fucked systems. And, uh, I'm the kind of guy that went to that system, did the print screen and did a support ticket to remove them for each and every one that I came across. Uh, and I still think for those particular cases, one week is extremely long. Uh, it doesn't even pose a monetary issue. Like, I can understand, okay, right now I want to bubble fuck this system so I can have safety, uh, for the next, uh, I don't know, two or three, uh, crab sessions. And, uh, you, with a week timer, you just have too much safety for the amount of buck you're putting on. I'd be happy to see them lower down to about 24 hours, but I still think they should be there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they do have a role to fill because uh, while I agree with you, Jin, and removing, uh, switching away from passive gameplay to active gameplay, uh, there is another matter to be talked about regarding uh, how many roles do you want to have. Um, I was on the other side regarding those VIPL changes uh, when they removed their uh, insta ultra locking per se ability. Because uh, while they still have good enough, uh, to do what they used to do before, you need two people now. You need a remote Sebo just to be able to get the ranges that you need to tackle lag and everything like that. And indeed, uh, this created an extra need, an extra uh, person needed to fulfill that role. But I ask, was it really needed? I mean, yeah. Because, it was, like, it <laughs> yeah, okay, happen. solved. I mean, I, I just think that's not even at it in the right way. Somebody still has to bring the bubble. Somebody still has to anchor it, set it up. You still have that role. It's can this role only be fulfilled by someone who is trained for a tech two ship, or can it be opened up to people in a, a much, much, much more limited capacity where it takes time to anchor, and you know is only in one spot and can. You know, be pretty easily killed. It doesn't move. You know, uh, yeah, is I that still I'm... possible? And I think it absolutely has to be possible. You don't need. I mean, bubble camps should be accessible to alphas. Should be accessible to players that don't have, you know, interdiction specialists in their corp or alliance, rather than completely cut them off from the gameplay. Well, the question is. How integral is, you know, bubble camping to the game? Is, you know, what role does bubble camping fulfill? And that's kind of a more deep question. And I don't really want to go into that because we don't have very long. Like, we've been here for two hours. 
But I'll thank um, you for raising it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll talk. We'll, we'll put a fucking tack in that. We'll talk about it next episode, okay? It'll be the next theory crafting. Yeah. Oh, please no. Uh, can we, yeah, we can do nightmares next week. Yes. Finally. Nightmares are fun. Nightmares are great. Ultimate you know what else is great? You know what else is great, Jintan? Plex is great. It's 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 literally what lets you play the game, and CCP is changing it. Uh, not yet. They're not, not because yet. we want to talk about some other stuff first. Oh, I am jumping the gun. Yes, gun jumper. <laughs> so I got transitions for this shit. Uh, first is following in from our discussion of the patch that we just had, uh, and this is what we call a segue. The patch we're about to have potentially. Some dank leaks from FanFest have come out. Uh, this is a screen cap of an upcoming page on the, or believed to be upcoming page, on the updates section of the website. And it's, it's allegedly something about summer. That's the time frame. And it has a whole bunch of stuff on here, some of which is already confirmed, like the fact exoplanets are now going to be added to Project Discovery. Which I think is a really, really cool uh, thing. In fact, I'm probably even more excited about exoplanets right now than I was about the uh, the cell identification prior. But there's also a bunch of stuff that's you know was sort of rumored about, but wasn't really confirmed. And I think that's what most people are talking about. Now, there's also some other stuff like the Vexer and Ishtar potentially getting some new models, which is pretty cool. Asteroid Fields getting some kind of change. Uh, I think this one is really out of left field. Um, the one that we think we already knew about was the Strategic Cruiser Rebalance, T3s, basically. Uh, CCP's been talking about changing them for years. and Allegedly, this is when they're going to do it. And then Asteroid Belts maybe change to be more real worldy like um instead of being around planets maybe have an asteroid ring i'm hearing the exact text is rocks thousands of them everywhere changes are coming to resource gathering in new eden and the game mechanics behind the process the chance to discover untold riches and explore the unknown in new eden become even more accessible with an overhaul of asteroid fields what I would love for that to mean is a change to the mining mechanics themselves to make them less press button read book, but I doubt that's going to be in scope. So I know that Ian cannot talk about any of this. Artemis Cosmo, let's go crazy. <laughs> I um, am pumped, but go ahead, Cosmo. Yes, he is pumped, can confirm. Um, regarding asteroid fields, it doesn't come exactly as much out of left field as you may think, because due to drilling platforms uh, design, uh, which will now spew out uh, rocks to be mined from you know Mungu instead of actually getting a passive thing, this may be linked to that somehow. This is me going full speculation, but uh, it does line up in terms of they releasing this new mining system something something right now and using this as a core for their uh, drilling platform modularity thing, uh, which we're going to get hopefully this year. I think that's an interesting concept, but I don't think it's likely to happen. And here's why. Having the drilling platform be interacting with regular mining has some cool implications 
theoretically, but what will happen in practice is people would put them down in a belt, and they'll basically just mine around it and mine everything dry. I don't think that's what the drilling platforms are going to be for. You would basically just put it down, and then there'd be like a no asteroid dead zone. Unless the belt's like, oh, wow, it would be really cool if they could orbit the sun, and they would like have rocks sort of come into range of the drilling platform. That would be neat, and you'd have to actively be there to mine them. But again, I, that seems like a really huge mechanic, a brand new mechanic that I don't think CCP is going to be adding to the game. No, Not anytime soon, anyway. Of actual modular uh, gameplay, because CCP usually tends to do this: just release a bit of core, a thing, and then use that for something else or improve upon it. Uh, so uh, they can make like a new uh, mechanism for spawning asteroids, and they can use that for multiple things. Because right now, asteroids just spawn in a semicircle in predefined uh, locations. Uh, I think every downtime. I'm not the miner. <laughs> yeah, they they respawn every downtime, and they're in fixed locations around planets, in orbit around planets. Um, another thing I like to talk about in the updates is regarding uh, the new forums and the new chat system, which is a push by CCP to reevaluate the basic tools that we use. Uh, a lot of people are getting hyped about the new chat system because it may allow finally for us to be able to chat uh, with people in-game from out-of-game sources, which is fantastic. Uh, but in regards to the new forums, a lot of people are having uh, issues. If you read the CSM notes, uh, we're going to lose a lot of the functionality that we now have, like linking characters and stuff. It'll just basically be a random form that you uh, make an account on. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a great change. Reddit isn't already that. Uh, and I don't think Eve's going to build a better Reddit. Uh, I think the main advantage to having the actual EVE Online forums, the official forums, is that the company can link your forum account to your in-game character and you can post as yourself and actually have, you know, be authentic, so to speak, and you don't have to worry about someone on the site already having your username or, or anything like that. So I'm not super keen on that. I do think the forums need to rework both this is a general experience type thing, and also, my God, and this touches on the Plex story that we're talking about a bit later, but I waded into the forums yesterday, and it is a goddamn cesspool. The ability to uh, surface good posts and bury bad posts is sorely needed on a community of this size. You know, having pure chronological is just not great for us. Um, and maybe there are some users that like it, but for folks that really just want to see quality posts and interesting stories, it's pretty bad. Um, Honestly, I don't think we're going to get any big changes. It'll just, as, I, uh, as far as I read, as far as, far as I understand, and I know Gene is right now itching because, you know, uh, he's under NDA about it, but uh, it will most likely just be a simple stock form. Uh, I don't think they're going to put too much... Uh, time into uh, making it what we have now. Uh, even the, you mentioning uh, linking characters, I don't think that will happen per se. Um, and with that, we have some issues like the bazaar, the character bazaar, which most likely will probably get shut down forever, given that we also have skill injectors now that are somewhat taking that role. Uh, 
So I'm just gonna see how this will get received by the people that are actually using the forums right now, i.e. not me or you. <laughs> the new chat system is interesting. I think that could be fantastic. Indeed. Um, it doesn't mention anything about, to be clear, it doesn't mention anything about out-of-client chat in the description. The description for the new chat system specifically says that it'll improve performance. Um, although it does mention uh, capsules could keep in touch even when tranquility is offline. So maybe they are going to do some sort of out-of-game thing. As far as I know right now, they're using some sort of weird IRC protocol embedding to their servers or something or another. Uh, that's what I'm saying, uh, which will improve scalability, which is written there, uh, would probably mean uh, moving it towards a different system altogether, like XMPP, if I'm not mistaken. You know, the kind of stuff that we're used to interacting with uh, via Mumble or Pigeon or whatever the hell. Uh, so I think yeah. we're probably going to see something like that. But again, ECCP is going to be moving like a glacier, uh, so if that future is in the future, it'll probably be end of year or something like that. And who knows how good it'll be. I mean, it could be like the in-game court bulletins. You know, not going to replace court forums anytime soon. Um, what I'm going to touch about, the last thing on my list regarding the updates, is the strategic cruiser rebalance. Uh, I know I hijacked uh, one of Apotney's posts regarding it. He went full on to the PvP aspect of it and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, can I just have like a section in your article? And he said like, yeah, like, yes, sure. And I wrote like a full section regarding the uh, PvE exploration uh, aspect of uh, T3 cruisers, which in my opinion right now is the a bling mobile if you're probably going to be doing uh, exploration in any serious capacity past just, you know, doing um, the relic sites. I think the PvP aspect is the not one to issue, be understated, yeah. though, because Tech 3s are a PvP staple. They are a line doctrine ship for both large fleets and small gang warfare and soloing. I mean, everybody has a use for these things in different configurations because they're, they're very versatile and they're very good. And if you're willing to put the skill points in line and you're willing to put the money on the line, then it's a pretty compelling ship for you to fly. Not always the best. can get outmoded in a lot of ways. Certainly faction battleships are the natural predator of the Tech 3 BC. Um, but it's, it's pretty strong. It's definitely stronger than hacks. It's, I would say, competitive with command ships, um, potentially better, potentially worse in certain use cases. Uh, against regular battleships, I'd say probably more better than not better. Um, well, I think there are a few specialized cases. Yeah, like wormholes, definitely. Trust me, um, wormholes, this is pretty much the the ship you want when shit is going down. Just because of the mass they have, uh, and the ability to fit a lot more of them than you do, like faction battleships that you mentioned. Uh, but yes, I, I agree that uh, the PvP aspect is the main reason for this rebalance, and it, it's something that needed to be done. But I just wish that in their zealousness, uh, CCP does not forget that uh, this particular ship class can be used for something more than just uh, PvP. Yeah. Sure. And I, I do hope they keep that in mind. But on the PvP front, and this is a PvP podcast for the most part, and I would love to know, Artemis, what you would hope to see. Because I, I know 
NOIR and MC have used Tech 3s a lot over the years. What would you hope to see in this rebalance or redesign that fixes maybe some of the problems with it, but doesn't throw them into the bin considering all the significant amount of resources you have to put on field or already use these things? One of the things that is unique to MC compared to other entities within EVE is our the necessity of us to be mobile and adaptive. And Tech 3s are practically the ship EVE Online spaceship analog to that. They are adaptive, they can do many different things based on their fit and their subsystem um, configurations. They're also rather mobile depending on how you fit them. So, And they're pretty good at what they do, you know. Slap my own back here, but in any case, I would like to see that stay uh, and actually get encouraged. I know it's going to be extremely difficult. I wouldn't fault CCP if they can't uh, follow through in it because I know they have said in the past that they want the Tech 3s to be these versatile things. And in the current EVE meta, they're not so much versatile. You've more got your RT3s, which are your Proteases and your Legions. They have a specific setup, and they're always that way if you face them on the field. We've seen Rail Tangus take a recent turn up. But I'd like to see the... I'm not sure if I want to say a buff, but a change to the way they work with their other capabilities, the logistics capabilities. Logi T3s are something I've wanted to do for a very long time. I'm a Logi bro at heart, and I love the idea of Tech 3s doing them with special capabilities, but it just doesn't work for various reasons we can't go into. Um, Tech 3s, EWAR in particular, uh, something in larger scale fleet fighting, you'll see EWAR have a couple of different implementations and a couple of different uses. Quite often, in my mind, the big EWAR ships are your recons. But the current state of recons is such that when you get to large-scale warfare, they can't stand up. There is no way you can have a recon that doesn't just instantly die. And it's an obvious primary. If you could, And so the answer to that by most fleets is just bring an armor fleet and use your utility bids to have, granted, more weak, but certainly that EWAR. And I would love to see Tech 3s expand things like EWAR, things like logistics, things which they're designed to do to fulfill their versatile role, but in a slightly slanted or different way than existing ships already do. That's what I'd love to see. I'd expect, or I wouldn't expect CCP to do it, but it would be phenomenal if they did. Uh, Yen probably can't talk about it, but would you be able to comment on what your hopes for such a change would be? Whether or not they're actually going to happen or not happen would not be involved in the question at all, Yen. Uh, I don't really feel comfortable uh, talking okay. particularly about it, because I, I know what's going to happen, so okay. if, I, if I say something you know, that I hope would happen... That means it's not currently happening, and therefore people can speculate further on that as to what is happening. And I feel that's not a healthy place to put the discussion in. I do think Apothenia's article is probably on the closer to the right end of things, um, you know, moving away from subsystems and moving more instead into the tech through destroyer uh, mode switching, or perhaps some slight combination of the two where you can still do subsystems, and maybe they give you certain role bonuses. But the majority of your combat power or 
defensive power or speed power or scanning power or whatever power comes from whatever mode you're in. And there's like delays between switching them. Uh, I think that's probably the right way to go. What I wouldn't like to see happen is just a straight number nerf or um, like slot nerf, something that would take them right out. Because they're in a very delicate place where you need to make sure that they're more powerful than hacks and I would say arguably more powerful than command chips because they do have significant price tag. If you die in them, you lose skill points, which is a very unique risk to a, a, an EVE ship. No other ship can do that, and it's a pretty stiff penalty when you think about it. Um, they need to be useful, and they need to be worth that price point, but they also need to be tuned down such that they have reasonable counters and they don't completely edge out other things like hacks and command ships, which should still have roles. I think command ships definitely have roles now. Hacks probably need a little love, just like assault frigates do, uh, for the same reason that they're just strictly outshined by T3s and both the destroyer class and the cruiser class, which is unfortunate. Um, not, not, I wouldn't say strictly, but in like a fleet fighting sense, strictly outshined. Um, I'd like to see the unique strengths of hacks accents a little more. Same thing with assault frigates. Um, so maybe they're not the best all-around combat ship, but if you fly them in this specific way, they're super strong. I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, but we'll see what Tech 3s do. I I'd like to see hacks buffed a little more than I'd like to see Tech 3s nerfed. Um, although, and I think certain Tech 3s, and certain Tech 3 combinations, even within the ships themselves, are a little more problematic than others. I think uh, I would agree with you on the hack thing. I definitely would like to see hacks uh, not get stronger in terms of like uh, their auxiliary characteristics, but I'd like to see them uh, <clears throat> become competitive. Uh, if, for example, in the roaming meta, I think that's really where they should be stepping up. And some of them, are, you know, the roaming is, is pretty good. Like the Vagabond, I think, is is pretty strong on the roaming. Deimos as well. Yeah, yeah. No, Deimos yeah. has a role. Um, pretty great. And I've had, some, I've had some fun times in a solo, you know, shield zealot before. That's <laughs> always very fun, especially in small gang. Um, I'll have to try that sometime. No, 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 just get like, uh, you know, 10 dudes. Um, run around and just like nano shield bullshit and just have one shield zealot and just watch yourself get primary every time but just have more tank than the rest of your fleet it's great <laughs> and there's uh you know the sack has somewhat of a role um that's the, the issue is that the sack is a brawler like it doesn't really have the dps to do what it needs to do there and the tank is good but not great I think that's the same issue with Demos as well. The tank is pretty good local, uh, and the DPS is kind of there, but it's still not amazing. And it like battle cruisers routinely could you know take it down. So I think they're pretty close to where they need to be. They just need a little tweaking, and then other cases like for instance the uh, I think the Eagle needs a lot of love. The Munin needs a lot of love. 
I don't think that's quite correct. I think that the problems with the Mulin and uh, the Eagles... Well, the Mulin has its problems in slot layout, and I think changing yeah. that would immediately fix it. Eagles uh, have the problem of medium railguns being way, way too good on other platforms, and that forces them to nerf medium railguns rather than nerf those platforms for some real weird reason. And the Eagle was like an unfortunate casualty of that. Well, that's what I mean by highlighting the strengths of the hacks relative to other ships. I feel like they are, they're too subject to what else is good, like whether it's a weapon system or other ships, rather than having their own unique thing that they're good at that no one else can really encroach on. Assault frigates the same way. Yeah, I actually wrote an article a long time ago about this, and it's called Why, Why Hacks Have to Die. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was not taken well by the majority of the public. And it was basically me lamenting that, you know, the whole T1, T2 faction pirate navy kind of thing was broken by certain classes of ships. And I, I kind of wanted to bring that into question because everyone at the time was talking about how hilariously overpowered T3s were and how they didn't fit the T3 kind of design criteria. And I wanted to just point to, you know, T2 hacks and say, this is the same with a ship that you think is great, you know, or that is perfectly balanced, because they don't have a defined role. They are just better cruisers. And whilst you can say that their specialization is they have more tank and spank, they don't sacrifice anything for it. Not, they don't have that particular role in the way recons or um, logistics cruisers or, you know, even, you know, command ships have. And I found that to be an interesting dichotomy. I would disagree with that point. I think their particular trade-off is going to be their cost. Uh, the lines are blurred the further up the cost you go. Like, with faction battleships being so cheap as of late, with hacks costing the same as T1 battleships, and with T3s dropping in price consistently, the, the price is harder to spot in the higher-end doctrines, or the price differential, rather. But upgrading from a T1 cruiser to a TAC-2 cruiser, you are talking orders of magnitude increase in price, not to mention the skill required to fly them to get the better version. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it is appropriate to define them as simply better cruisers, and because you can define them that way, they are necessarily not in a good spot. I was, my my I view on, on the cruisers, I'd like to make that clear. I was arguing that I wanted that role to be made more, you know, very more specific and more uh, in tune with the current T2 design philosophy. I wanted them to have a more uh, defined set of characteristics that you could point to the hack line and say, this is what hacks do. Um, I th and let's see if we can agree on what that would be. Like, to me, the heavy assault cruiser is supposed to be a really strong roaming ship that's sort of somewhat specialized to fight against higher caliber weapons. Um, they have, basically they're the SIG tanking ships of EVE, and Assault Frigates their little brother um, against, say, cruisers or battlecruisers, whereas the, uh, the hacks should be great counters to battleships and capital ships. Not maybe on the DPS side, but being able to survive it and perhaps having some unique characteristics that would help them fight those type fleets. I think Cosmo will probably remember that what I proposed is that we split the hack line like more neatly in two, and you had a dedicated close-range variant uh, that is designed basically as a hard anti-tackle, super high-tracking kind of platform. Basically the 
you know, the archetypical anti-frigate, anti-support uh, side of the hack line, which is the other way we see them used. And uh, another one for very close range, very brawly, very anti-battleship, anti-capital kind of role. And you split them like that. I thought that made a lot more sense. Doesn't the first one encroach on destroyers, though? Yeah, but you don't have a T2 destroyer that is dedicated to killing frigates. Yeah, the Tech 3 destroyer you do. Yeah, but that's a Tech 3. <laughs> that's supposed to be flexible, ideally. But I, I get what you're saying there. Um, I mean, just yeah, the but... whole destroyer line in general is supposed to be the anti-frigate ship. Like, the ultimate anti-frigate ship that's more vulnerable to large ships. I think that's a good role. Um, I don't have a problem with the tracking, but I would almost like... I would almost wish instead of application bonuses, they just got like double damage bonuses or something like that. Or instead of an application bonus, they got some kind of uh, utility bonus that would make them more effective against large ships in some way. Like, uh, uh, I'd be hard pressed to say, but like built in new resistance or something like that, or built in grappler resistance or uh, something along those lines. Uh, or an extra low signature radius, maybe on top of the low signature radius they already have, it's reduced even more per level, something like that, or maybe a boost to afterburner speed, as well as the MWD SIG reduction. Maybe the MWD SIG reduction is even stronger. Maybe their MWDs can't get turned off so easily. Something like that. I feel like if you can't have them turned off by scrams, you're going to end up with them either being ridiculously powerful or completely useless. That, no, 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 but maybe they have yeah. like a scram resistance where it takes two or three instead of just one. That's an interesting idea. I've never heard that talked about before. Um, something I'd say is that if you really wanted them to be dedicated to killing battleships, you could give them a massive tracking penalty and uh, a, you know, a to go along with that, a massive damage uh, bonus. I can so say right now they're just going to be the new Citadel Bashers <laughs> if you do that to them. <laughs> is that wrong? Do you not want one of those? It would be interesting, especially given that with the current Citadel mechanics, caps are not necessarily an option, but I'll let Cosmo get in before I go down that tangent. And you could also, if that were the case, then you could have Assault Frigates be a pretty decent counter to them. Glass Cannon Assault Frigates, bring the back the noob. Jin <laughs> <laughs> um, is right, actually, on this point. Uh, whenever we talk about uh, ship classes, I think we should, and especially the heavy assault variants, we should be going towards them being uh, better at you know uh, doing damage instead of better at avoiding damage uh, and going down that path allowing them to do more damage if they are properly supported as in you have a specific uh, wing for target painting and tackling ship down if you put the enemy in a position to fully apply your uh, heavy assault variant ship damage they should be able to bring the pain in that situation which would uh, be contrasting to their uh, more roundabout T1 variants and uh, also give them uh, a better role. Indeed, they would become still bashers, true, but I would like to have uh, 200 mil still bashers to kill. I just gotta say, we're having a little side conversation here in, in the chat here. Yen is saying, fuck mitigation tanking? You're out of your goddamn mind. This is coming from the guy who flies armor phantasms? Jen. Mitigation tanking is some of the most fun in EVE, and goddamn, if it isn't great gameplay. If you're not tackled, if you're not tackled and you have a proper support fleet that can rep you, you can 
take on ridiculous numbers, you know, if you're not properly countered. I love that gameplay. It's super hard to do. It's very specialized. You need a fleet for it. There should be some class of ships in EVE that brings that to the table, whether it's hacks or assault frigates. Make mitigation great again. I love mitigation tanking, and I think it's actually the most skillful way to tank in the game. Like, it takes a lot of both FC and pilot skill to do properly. I was just memeing about it. Because <laughs> everyone thinks I hate it. I don't. I just, think need... I just think it's underappreciated by the dev team and how powerful it is. We need so to build a wall. Huh? We need to build a wall. No, I almost said something. I was going to say it was uh, a reference to the misinterpretation of your frigate racism as a hatred towards damage mitigation, as frigates are typically noted for their ability to mitigate damage. This is just real Pravi Trump, you know. I'm actually just, I'm actually just real Pravi Trump. I'm channeling him. These interceptors are just coming across our borders. There's no way to stop them. They're bringing yeah. noobs. They're bringing tests. Okay, these are not good people. They're killing our rabbits. And some of them, I assume, are good care bears. <laughs> Oh, I'm dead. That's it. I'm out. Fucking put me in a home. I just aged 50 years. Which hates the fuck. I'm gonna die. Okay. Um, Cosmo, uh, Epic Revenge? Hmm? Uh, you have a link here from Kotaku. Uh, yeah, uh, I was going to talk about that for a second. Uh, we have the, a player in our community called Darbo Thorell, uh, which posted on Reddit and made this fantastic story, the kind of stories that you usually would hear about, uh, of one player holding a grief for like four years and then getting their just revenge, you know. And, uh, of course, it splashed again in the gaming news uh, just because it's universal. Uh, you know, it's easy to tell, easy to understand who's the villain, who's the good guy, and uh, it makes for a great story. Um, but I would also like to mention um, that uh, there are equally amazing stories happening in EVE, which I have tried to get them out to greater media. I have submitted quite a few articles to uh, various news sites, but they just don't have the same direct impact, you know, the same uh, instantly recognizable good guy, bad guy, uh, this is a nice story, have a ni nice giggle, upvote, and then go back to your life. Uh, I was trying to highlight, for example, the perimeter uh, issue with the uh, Citadels, uh, the whole backstory to it, which is utterly fantastic if you get into it. But um, I'm just saying how easy uh, the media grapples onto simple stories when Eve is so much more than that. I'd just like to, while we're talking about Kotaku really quickly, remind them they're affiliated with Jezebel, which is currently featuring such amazing stories as how to make your vagina taste awesome. Hackers have leaked nude photos of Amanda Seyfried and Emma Watson. And Disney dudes dicks, what your favorite princes look like naked. But let's absolutely take these people seriously as gaming journalists. Well, it got picked Carry up on. by Rock Paper Shotgun and a few other web uh, websites if you have them in higher esteem. How do I make my vagina taste good, Alex? Uh, let's see. Oranges. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a combination of factors. Uh, natural sweaty smell plus uh, 
uh, smell of apparently what kind of detergent you use can affect the taste of the vagina. Um, they're advising you not to not to like add any kind of unnatural fragrances uh, in your quote, and I'm not shitting you. Uh, to get quote a nice tropical vibe going in your <laughs> southern hemisphere. But they're advising you not to do that. You want to keep it minimally fragrant. Uh, I need to start taking some fucking writing tips from this article. It's great. Fucking. Quote, keeping the outside part of your flower clean is the easy part, uh, though. Let's, let's, let's cut this out now. This, this concludes the female hygiene. So, what stuff is managing the juices, which are so in a state of giant, near-constant bacterial war? Jim. You heard about this? End what? quote. Exchanges. CCP yeah. is doing some things with Aura. Yeah, Flex, right. <laughs> Give us a summary. Give us a review. Yeah, basically, uh, basically CCP. The Plex is juices. Uh, CCP is planning to clean up uh, some of the detritus left around their wallet region. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, they. The fragrant detritus? Oh, please shut up. I'm gonna fucking corpse in a second here. I told you I'm 50, I've aged 50 years. <laughs> Don't fucking kill me here. Be like that guy in fucking Indiana Jones, my face is gonna melt off. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, yeah, basically, you know, having two, uh, you know, premium currencies in the online through both Plex, which is used for some in game services, and Aurum, which is used for other in game services. Kind of doesn't make too much sense. Uh, so the plan is to basically convert them to have, uh, you know, one thing, which is the new flex. And some of the ways that CCP's gone around that have stirred up controversy, uh, more specifically in how they are planning to convert existing, um, <clears throat> uh, existing stockpiles. Oh, uh, one guys. One of the biggest, actually, the only actual big point of contention uh, is regarding the 1,000 uh, aurum limit, uh, which means if you have less than 1,000 aurum in your uh, account at the time of the change, which will not be in time soon, but saying, um, then uh, these people ignore that completely. Uh, and while there is some concern uh, and agreement with CP uh, regarding the fact that they have given out uh, aurum over the years, uh, I think as early as December, I think we got 300 Aurum. Um, and they don't want to create uh, a plex price uh, issue, in, uh, you know, uh, impose volatility uh, due to uh, converting plexes that don't exactly exist right now as value uh, is a point. Uh, I think a lot of player base has taken this uh, to huge extremes when uh, CCP itself said they will host a lot of... Um, uh, discounts and stuff up up to the change, so you can get rid of through on the arm for getting a ship skin or something. You know, uh, they have they will introduce clearance sales specifically to handle this. But I don't think it's as big of an issue uh, as people make it out to be. The entitlement is crazy. You got free arm in massive quantities over the course of the past couple of years, and now you want all that arm to just be given to you as basically free isk. Yeah, That's cash out. fucking I, ridiculous. I think it's really unfair to characterize it 
as just you know, people wanting to get free money. It's not just like that. Obviously, some people have changed from stuff they legitimately bought using Aurum, and you know they feel like they're getting screwed, which isn't a good feeling. And that's where I think we see a lot of this outrage. Um, the problem really is there's a huge amount of Aurum float. Also, another problem is that, you know, there are people who are inactive right now who may have, you know, sub-1,000 uh, Aurum on their accounts, and they don't have a chance to cash out, which is not great. But the real concern is, like, the amount of Aurum float in Plex is, um, is massive. You could see a gigantic plunge in the Plex market, which isn't healthy for the game. If everyone just converted all of their Aurum into Plex and sold it. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, because obviously some people will want to keep it, and, you know, stuff like that. But there is a risk that you just accidentally kill the whole real trading, you know, basically the legalized RMT of the game. You kill that market off. Well, the other side of it is if, if the Plex prices do drop, people just come in and scoop up all that all that cheap plex. You'll probably have a lot of alpha conversions. You'll probably have a lot of go guys realizing, oh, well, shit, this is going to go back up. I'm going to invest. Yeah, well, I think at the, at the point is, I think a lot of people, especially veteran players, like, at the end of the day, I don't have numbers here, so I can't really educatedly talk about it, overestimate how much plex is used a day. You know, how much per, how much like per month usage are we talking about for when you know you know for this float being converted? Are we talking about that's going to have a literal permanent impact on the plex market for about a year? You know, what if there's five times as much plex as there is used in a month in Aurum, just sitting there in accounts that will be freed up? That's a huge concern for CCP, like at a financial level. And I think there are there should be ways to go around it. Like there should be things that CCP can do to compensate people that don't introduce so much volatility to the market. And we're going to be working with them to kind of just talk about this and try and explain it to them. That, you know, people feel like they're getting fucked, you know? Is there um, anything we can do to help them? Yeah, the best solution I've heard is just convert that into game time. Convert any leftover Aurum into game time, which is something CCP can afford to give out, like, I don't know, two weeks for whatever spare change you had there. Oh, no, I, I like that idea as well, but the problem is that doesn't help anyone who's, say, away from the game right now. They just lost tons of what is potentially Okay, but we're, we're going into, um, what was it, opportunity cost, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, again, if they're not playing the game, if they're not interacting, it's like saying, uh, oh my god, I missed uh, some huge uh, patch lock change upon which I could have gotten, like, filthy rich. Well, yeah, I missed that, but I did. <laughs> Well, uh, let's let's put some monetary tags on it. How many Plex do you have to convert currently to get a thousand Aurum? I don't know because I've never bought Aurum and I never will because I'm not involved in that community. If I'm not mistaken, it's ten euros for nine hundred Aurum. So uh, for it's, Plex, it's about five pounds. That... It's less than a Plex currently. Yeah, um, it's a, roughly half, I think. It is a lot less. It's, it's I think for about five pounds you get um nine hundred of them, and that actually falls below the a thousand, which is something we immediately brought up with CCP. When oh yeah, that this. is an issue. Yeah, this is something we like straight up. We we're like, oh right, yeah, that's going to be an issue. 
we put that in the initial review of the devlog, which I will note that we got you know seven days ago. We we basically got that a couple of days before it went live. There wasn't really time to make major changes to it. We just got to raise points and see, you know, can we, are we not just shouting at the wind here? Is this something other people have brought up? I'd also like to see actual numbers on how many people legitimately bought ARM as opposed to got it free from CCP that Uh, are actually affected by this. And if it wouldn't just be possible to have CCP work with these people on a more individual basis if there's like less than a thousand. A lot of people, a lot more than a thousand people have bought one. Let's just put it at that. That have less than a thousand in their balance? Don't know about that. Yeah, well that would be something to look at. Um, I was actually smart enough uh, to make sure all my purchases end up with me on zero aura. <laughs> but that's just me being half, uh, half insane. Um, the thing is, uh, even all this controversy aside, the fact that they're moving away from Aurum is huge from two points of view. Uh, firstly, legal, because CCP does some financial shenanigans in regards to both Aurum and Plex, and putting it under the same umbrella is huge on their side. I'm pretty sure there's a, uh, a large undertaking on the legal and financial side to get this properly legal. Um, and also the fact that me, as a player that has been playing this fucking game since 2006, I was struggling to figure out how to fucking buy and use Aura. <laughs> well, I think it's it's also just, I mean, yeah, it's the usability side, but even just conceptually, it never really made any sense to have two currencies like that. Uh, it's not like they're two competing nations. It's the same company, and you had to purchase both things. It's not like uh, League of Legends where you have IP, which you earn by playing and can't purchase with money. And RP, which you can purchase with money but can't earn by playing, you know that that makes sense, and they can balance around that in terms of price points. But I mean, you you buy both Plex and Arum from CCP. Highlight um, the thing is, uh, this leads back to the shenanigans I was talking about. Uh, a Plex is something that CCP owes you, even if the Plex is unredeemed itself. It's time owned, uh, owed by CCP to whatever beneficiary. Um, that is in stark contrast to shoes or ship skins, which are literally virtual goods which, uh, which the transaction for happens instantly. You get something and they get something. Uh, with Plex, uh, Plex itself doesn't enter CCP's revenue stream until it has been destroyed or used. And that's uh, the reasoning for having two separate currencies, as far as I can understand. Well, the arm was still unused. Arm is the exact same way. Any unused currency is the same way. You're still owed whatever value of arm that is um, until you use it to purchase some shoes or purchase some skins, and then the value point, is converted and cashed in. At that point, you have arm. You have a good. The arm itself is the good which you use for uh, transactions. Uh, in regards to Plex, you do not own. Um, that particular game time until you actually activate the Plex. Uh, again, it's I just think that's the definition of a currency. This is like an arbitration discussion that we <laughs> yeah is like beyond our can and beyond stuff I can talk about it because it goes into the like internal workings of CCP. Anyway, yeah. the point yeah. is I'm happy about it. It's much more simple. I think it's going to make more sense for alphas. It makes more sense conceptually. 
Uh, I think it's going to be easier for CCP to, but to just work with issue. it and for the player base to work with it. Uh, changing from plex to like little tiny plexes is going to take a lot of getting used to, I think, for the older players, but uh, we'll figure it out. The thing with the combining them to the two, uh, it has me concerned. I don't want to make a big discussion on it given our current length, but Orem was as its own, just a medium of exchange, right? You bought Aurum, and with that Aurum, you could buy skins or things for your character. Uh, Plex was effectively the value of training time, right? There wasn't much else you could do with the Plex other than get you some account to be trained. And there's obviously some market speculation with it, which was much higher than your... Um, much higher than other items such as Aurum, but it was very much however much EVE players as a market valued playing time, that's the Plex cost. Now you're combining the value that players have for game time with the value that they have for ship skins. And the interest where this gets interesting and possibly troublesome is because CCP sets the prices for the ship skin in these miniature plexes, presumably. So if CCP pegs a price wrong, it's going to severely mess with whatever speculation is going on with the plex market and therefore affect anybody looking to buy game time. Well, uh, it's game time itself is the stronger... Uh, game time itself is the stronger uh, value there. I mean, you cannot compare it in any way, shape, or form directly with uh, a ship skin. Uh, and you could argue that the exact same thing has been happening uh, all along anyway. You have like 20 euros in your bank account, right? And you can use it for game time or buy some Aurum for skins, uh, which honestly, for the longest period, skins were priced entirely horrible. <laughs> and almost n nobody found any value in literally an 8 euro skin for one particular ship. Uh, so uh, I don't think we're going to see that much volatility include, uh, included through the use of a secondary value attached to Plexense. And I still think it's a mistake that they didn't call it Plexense, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, just real quick, I uh, wanted to point out that CSM voting has begun. I know we're running along in the show. We have a little bit more to talk about. Um, CSM voting has begun. Please go out and vote if you haven't already. Check the Declarations of War website for our ballot. I'll probably include it on these show notes as well. Um, we strongly encourage you to vote for those candidates, but ultimately I just strongly encourage you to vote, even if you don't vote for who we say you should vote for. Um, the most important thing is cast your ballot. One candidate, ten candidates, doesn't matter. Make your voice heard. If there's someone that you want to see on the council, go for it. If you think the CSM isn't representative of your views, well, you need to vote in order to change that. It's not going to happen unless you engage with the process. So go out there, vote, get your friends to vote, get your corpse to vote, get your friends' corpse to vote, get your alliance to vote, uh, spread the word, try to up the turnout of these things and make the CSM the most representative, successful body that it can be. And we're going to move on to host highlights because I know we're a bit over time here. Uh, so I've got a bit of a low light in EVE, uh, and I'm going to try to put this up on YouTube. I actually worked on it all last night, but was not able to successfully export it because of a bug in Windows Movie Maker. Um, but I went out with my Sentinel 
to go find what I could PvP-wise, and I found this nice suspect flag gentleman in a covert research facility. As I warped in, he warped out, and literally two to three seconds later, I was pointed webbed, killed by the freaking rats. They in the battleships, battleship rats immediately switched to my sentinel. And I was killed. I was so pissed off. Uh, and I'm going to try to clip that rage for you and provide it on the YouTube. Uh, a highlight: I got a new job, and I will be uh, I will be working for Twitch now, starting tomorrow. That's something. Yeah. So I'll be. Uh, the moderation manager for Twitch. I'll be running their admin and global moderator team, and uh, pretty excited about it. A little bit nervous for my first day and how first month, first everything. But I couldn't be more excited than I currently am about this job and everything that's going to come with it. I'm so excited to be working for Twitch. It's it's like a dream come true. So very excited for that, Artemis. Yeah, my host highlight comes from midway through the Providence deployment for Mercenary Coalition. I am typically a USTZ player, and USTZ was quite interesting in Pravi. In this particular instance, we had a brawl with Pravi over the TCU pawns and 9TACF. We were outnumbered 2 to 1. We went out with, um, we went out with T3s supporting some dreads and faxes and defanging carriers to kill the paws, and Pravi had a serve fleet with their standard hodgepodge of support, and then a second, I think, just based on the way that they were flying and the ships that they were in, a second roaming nano-ish gang that was there for anti-tackle purposes. But in any case, they outnumbered us fairly heavily, and they attacked us. They set up on our in-gate into the system. They had Sinojam the system and all connecting systems. And so what we effectively had to do was take gates from our staging system in Hasa team into 9TACF and then warp to the pause. And probably decided that they were going to camp our end gate in 9TACF with their Cerberuses and have Dictors bubble the gate and not let us through without taking losses. We decided, well, okay, that's fine. Uh, we're just going to take the fight to you then. And we took the gates on our end gates. We brawled it out for a little bit. I say brawl, they were in Cerberuses. They were trying to stay out of our Tech 3 railgun range. They were relatively successful. Their hodgepodge of ships sometimes changed. We had some anchoring that was stellar, and so we got into range when they didn't necessarily want us to. We took our only losses for the fleet there on that gate. They got a good boosh off while I was being a bit gritty and got out of our fax range. We lost two T3s, but eventually we killed off all of their tackle. We forced their main fleet away so that there wasn't a war they could burn in tackle in the meantime. And I warped all of our capitals and our T3 fleet to the pause. Skirmishing continued on the pause grid as we killed it. We did kill the DCU pause, place one up of our own. It was actually a secondary thought to place one up. We just thought, well, there's an empty moon here. We might as well stick something there. Um, but we killed the pause with the dreads. We got all of our capitals extracted. And as soon as we got our capitals off grid, probably decided to cut their losses and make their way home. So. Strategic objective accomplished, outnumbered 2 to 1, we still managed to kill 3 billionist worth of ships, rounding up the actual number was 2.8 bill, and um, it was a fun time. I loved it, it was fantastic. I was FCing, by the way, I didn't mention that, but good times, <laughs> thanks probably. Yen, how does that make you feel? Dude, fair play, like, you don't know, bull as fuck. 
Well, you know, obviously probably made the huge mistake of not flying nightmares. So, fuck them. <laughs> well, they need you to FC them, yeah. Speaking of which, your host highlight? Yeah, I finally got to FC again. I was on the computer. I was, like, moving a mouse. I wasn't using a trackpad. There was no Twitch involved. I got to sit in the pilot seat and make things happen. Um, you know, none of the big fights, uh, I've managed to get into two of those now. Uh, both of them have ended in major disasters. Uh, you know, not great. Not super proud of them. I'm pretty proud of my conduct in the first one, really. I felt like I handled that one really, really well. Uh, even when things went to fucking shit, I managed to get most of the fleet out. Um, and we killed a bit on the way down. Uh, you know, the last one we were in where NCMPL uh, just wrecked us. Not great. Zero out of ten, do not recommend getting wrecked. Uh, I lost like 70 bill in a night, you know. Just probably things. Um, uh, on my side, uh, being basically better at crafting zebras is a full-time job sometimes. And uh, yeah, I'm glad at least one of us over here, <coughs> Artemis, actually plays EVE Online at the level that uh, it, re- it is required. Yeah, Catherine, yeah, you're okay. executive editor at CZ? When did that happen? Uh, about eight months ago or something. I was ah. helping uh, Naiden uh, run the whole thing. I I, I would have put that in your uh, your uh, intro way up at the top. I didn't realize you got promoted. Congratulations! Oh, <laughs> I I want to say thanks, but uh, it's been needed. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Maybe I should have said. <laughs> Chill. <laughs> All right. Uh, read the descriptions. Uh, we're doing Placid, Providence, Pureblind, and Querious. I'm gonna kick things off with Placid, and then we're gonna round out the show. <clears throat> I have a, a great connection to Placid because uh, this is actually where I started the game out at. So it's right in my heart right here. In reality, Placid is anything but. The southern reaches of the region are home to the notorious Intaki, whose huge emphasis on personal freedom goes some way towards explaining its general lawlessness. The situation is not helped by the Federation's seeming reluctance to invest heavily in the region a source of some resentment among the Intaki who haven't already fled to Syndicate. To make matters worse, much of what does get earmarked for the region ends up being used to bolster the Federation's increasingly important military presence in Placid's turbulent and far-flung northern extremities, which are constantly under threat. This has been Alexei of Card, Eve Evening News. <laughs> no. I am very sad because I'm going to have to do this with an absolute trash mic. But I will be going over my beloved region of Providence. The Empire had had its eye on the region it named Providence, a wealth of minerals on its border ripe for the plucking. Those plans were forced off the shelf with the Mimitar Rebellion and following the disaster of Vak Ailth. Hamstrung by these events and their repercussions, the expanse into Providence failed to materialize. So, the region was left a waste. Capsuleers now rule the byways, and Sancha's reborn nation attempts to expand their influence into the region. But only a fool would assume that the Empire has forgotten its plans entirely. The enduring MR have learned to be ever patient, ever watchful. Make Providence great again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Close it up. 
with Quirios, right? That's on me? Oh, uh, first we got Artemis doing Pure Blind. Can't forget about Pure Blind, guys. It is there. There's some renters out there, I hear. Pure Blind. Savage. <laughs> when Pure Blind was first properly mapped, it was earmarked to become a called the Caldari's 4th District. Uh, a long chain of logistical and political difficulties ensued, and the plane was shell or the plan, pardon me, was shelved numerous times, but never quite died. Recently, however, population pressures brought the plans back from death yet again, and for a while it seemed as if they might finally go ahead. However, it turned out that the moment had already passed. The region was now home to the Kaldari loyalist forces of Mordu's famous legion and the avowedly neutral Servant Sisters of Eve, and the remaining volumes were gripped tightly by various capsuleer factions who were undeterred by its comparative lack of resources. Frustrated, the state turned its attentions elsewhere, and it seemed that Pure Blind will remain a turgid melting pot of competing traditional and capsuleer forces for the foreseeable future. Alright, Cosmo, take us out. Quirious. <clears throat> the Quirious region was originally referred to JKFX and was seen as merely an administrative grouping for a large mass of disparate systems discovered near the already established Delve region. Many of these should be, by most conventions, be part of the Delve proper, but the growing blood raider presence in that region drove the administration at the time to fold them in with the rest of what is now Quirious. When that region too was overrun by blood forces, the issue became irrelevant but by then the maps had been finalized. The region was given its current name, a reference to an obscure piece of scripture, relatively recently, and while its original designation is no longer present anywhere in official records, part of it has been adopted by the region's hardy capsuleer residents who keep alive what they have seen in the old traditions. So that would be a fix, I'm guessing. Firmasixian? Yeah. Yeah, way back in the day. Cool. A little nugget of evil art. All right, guys, that's it. Go to Declarations of Doc. Yeah, my own website. Go to DeclarationsofWar.com <laughs> to participate in the show poll and leave a comment on this episode. Um, little uh, shill for the capitalist army. We are still recruiting. We are the PVP wing of the New Eden Trading Company. Eve's the largest public infrastructure project. And I got to say, I am super happy with all the recruits that we pulled in so far. But we need more. We need you. So come on board. Hop in our channel. Come out on a fleet with us. See if it's for you. And with that, good hunting.
you. Fuck your, <laughs> fuck your couch. <laughs>